we can get uh, Andrew Fuller to tell us all about his companies. He's got three companies now. I mean, he is rocking and rolling, and, and they're all taking off. All right, real quick, Jim from Canada. He is our official sponsor from Care Printing and Publishing. You can find him at carepp.com. Thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Jim. We also got Will Fly from Will Fly PPG. He's going to be getting your names and putting on the spinning wheel of winning things because we got some really good stuff that we're going to be giving away. We also got Scuba Steve that's going to be helping us out in the background. And of course, as always, we got Linda Anderson, our Paramom USA. Welcome to the show. But it's not about us. Today is all about Andrew Fuller. He owns uh, SkyTap Paramotors. He owns Skylab SIV. And now he owns a new one all about inspecting our wings. Andrew Fuller, welcome to the show. Love guys. And uh, just so you know, if you don't know, Andrew was the very first person on PPG Grandpa's Paramotor Podcast four years ago. Then he was on the next year, the next year, the next year. And here we go. We have him on the fourth year of PPG Grandpa's Paramotor Podcast, Clearprop TV and Paratalk.org. Welcome to the show, my friend. Woot, woot, woot. Um, for those of you that don't know Andrew, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into paramotoring? Uh, let's see. I started flying 11 years ago. And um, <clears throat> yes, I opened up an SI, I opened up Sky Tap Paramotors, uh, making paramotor frames about four and a half years ago. And then I started Skylab Paramotor SIV three years ago, where we did the SIVs. And uh, yeah, then yeah, now I moved on to the whole rigging side of things. So the way I got into it was just like everybody else. You know, we all wanted to fly when we were when we were little. <clears throat> and uh, once I figured out that once I was old enough and I was like, you know what? I can just buy my own gear, you know, like I, why not? So started off self-trained and I got training from a bunch of people and yeah, here we are. Man, I tell you, time sure flies just like paramotor pilots. Um, now you started the, uh, the SkyTap paramotors first mm -hmm. and you launched a, uh, the, the SkyTap Angel, mm -hmm. the Spartan, and you also have another one that's in the works. Is that correct? Yep. We have a third one. Uh, I've got the prototype in the garage right now. I have no clue what I'm going to call it. It'll probably be another two, three months before we have them um, out for production. But it's uh, it'll fit all the way up to a 145 prop. It's swing arm frame, uh, stainless swing arms with bearings and all aluminum outer hoop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about this one. I think this one's going to be like... I. I pulled the out Phoenix. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything else to do on this one to make it any better. Like <laughs> it's fully adjustable with the swing arms up and down and in and out. And it is very, very strong. So we thought the Spartan was strong. This one is like this one's almost as strong as the Angel. Okay. So just for people that don't know your line of paramotors, could you tell us real quick about the Angel, the Spartan? Uh, tell us, you know, um, about the netting and how they're 500 test pound and fingers don't go through. Yeah, so the, the thing that comes on all our paramotor frames is we have the either, depends on the, the, which one it is, but they have four to 500 pound test Kevlar netting and it's all strong individually to each cage piece. So there's very little flex in the, uh, the netting. So our main... Our main thing with the cage, what we try and do is have netting strong enough to protect you from the prop and a cage strong enough to support it. And then um, the other thing all of our frames come with is a quick release harness. And then um, 
The Angel was the first one we came out with, also known as the Round Top. That one's extremely durable. It has every single safety feature you can imagine. Great weight shift. Um, its only downfall is it's not the most comfortable thing on the ground, just from the way it's built. Can't really get around that without getting rid of a couple safety things. And then the next one we built was the Spartan, and that's uh, basically a swing arm version of it. Single hoop, very, very strong. It's got the netting, got the quick release, and it has a couple other features on it, like uh, it has ball bearings in the swing arms, which I, I think we're the only people to do that. And, um, yeah, that one's extremely comfortable on the ground. And then our next one, the paramotor with no name, is 155-centimeter cage, and it's almost as strong as the Angel, and um, it's very adjustable. So you can you can move the swing arms up or down, left or right. You can offset them. You can make them really wide for good weight shift. But yeah, and and all three of them uh, fit on trikes. So, so the angel is good because it's double hoop. So if you wanted to do some triking, that would be the best one. The, that cage will not flex at all. And the Spartan, is it good enough? I mean, it won't flex either when you're doing a forward uh, on a on a trike? It'll flex a little bit, but you're not going to get contact with the prop. So okay. it, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the strongest single hoop on the market. Okay, um, and then your new one is going to be just as strong as a single hoop, but it's a, I mean, double hoop, but it is a single hoop? It's actually, it's going to be stronger. It's going to be almost as strong as a double hoop from the way it's built. So it's, it's five cage pieces. And um, whereas the Spartan's only four, and then we made the main frame wider. So the cage pieces are shorter. Um, that way it, the, the cage pieces are stronger because there's less distance that it has to go out between the main frame and the hoop. And then they're angled like the, the cage pieces on the bottom, all the struts are angled downwards like at the the point where there's the most pressure on the cage from like a power forward. Um, so the, yeah, the newest one's almost as strong as, as the, uh, as the angel. It's almost as strong as the double hoop and stronger than some double hoops. It depends on how you build the frame. If you just have a hoop with spokes that can never be as strong as if you have individual cage pieces that all link together. So it's more expensive to build them that way, but you get a lot more strength out of it. And that's the only way to put that, that 400, pound test kevlar netting on there so okay there was a question uh sean and i actually was going to ask it too it's a good question bonnie franz was asking about the weight on the paramotors so uh, obviously the, the spartan i've seen the spartan i really really like that paramotor um, have of course haven't seen the other one so the difference in weight between the two spartan's 56 and the new one is 58 that's really uh, close yeah, yeah. So it's just just a little bit heavier. It's it's got a couple other things like it has a motor plate on it, uh, carbon fiber motor plate, which we use to um, so you can fit different different engines on there without actually changing anything. And then it also the way we do the motor plate is different from everybody else. We put we don't put the motor mounts between the engine and the plate. We put the motor mounts between the plate and the frame, and then the um, the engine goes direct to the plate and that way you don't get as much flex with the engine because mm -hmm. there's there's three things that make a, a prop contact a cage one is the prop flexes and you can't you can't do anything about that unless you get it like a helix prop is stronger than an e-prop and then the cage flexes so you know we do our best to make a really strong frame and then uh the third one is the motor actually moves a really good amount on the motor mounts 
Um, and you know, the motor mounts are only like five and a half inches apart on a, on the Viterazis. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we do the engine straight to the plate and then the motor mounts go between the plate and the frame and they're a lot wider. And that way it, it, it removes like an inch and a half of, of actually like the, the motor flexing on the motor mounts. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good question. I can't believe two pounds. I mean, and it's, and it's going to be about as strong as the angel. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's, that's also with um, like when we weigh stuff, we don't, we include everything. Like we include the spacers for the swing arms. Like it's, a lot, a lot of places when they when they measure like the weight, they take off like the pouches and the reserve pouch from the harness. They use lightweight carabiners. This is with the stainless steel carabiners, the reserve pouch on the harness, the side pocket on the harness. And then that's also with our 4.6 uh, gallon fuel tank. So so you can make it lighter. You can get a, you can get a, we have a harness that you can drop two and a half pounds right away. Uh, an even lighter harness. So we can actually get that weight all the way down to 54 pounds. But like the way I fly it is 58. So. And that's also with the Helix prop. You 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 gain 1.2 pounds with the Helix prop over an E-prop. So you can actually, you can get that weight like pretty far down. Yeah, you can trim it down, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you can really trim it down for the, you know, for the numbers. But that's like when people call it, they end up getting the spacers. They end up getting the, the bigger fuel tank. So that's... That's the way I advertise it is the, pretty much the one you're going to get. So you also do SIV. So SIV stands for simulated incident in flight. Uh, a lot of people have questions about, you know, what is SIV? What do you do? Is it just for acro? Can you tell us a little bit about SIVs and <laughs> what to expect if you do go to uh, an SIV? Yeah, so it's actually, it's not it's not really built around acro, but you have to do an SIV and learn the stuff in an SIV to move on to acro. <clears throat> so usually um, what, what it is, is it's three phases of the course is set up in three phases. Phase one is your deflations, your like, so your frontals, your asymmetrics. And we do those, those are really safe. Um, and that's kind of like to break the ice and get you used to your wing and you know, like a wing can have paperwork on it. It can have a certification, but until you see it and feel it on your own, you're not going to trust it as much. So we do that part. And then the second part is the negative stuff. So we do stalls, negative spins. And then we do like where you do a negative spin and you stall out of it. And that's, that's where you're getting on like the more important stuff. And um, once we do the full stall, we'll teach you anything after that. Because you, once you can full stall, you can full stall out of any mistake you make or most mistakes that you'll make. And then the third part is the energy management. But once people hit the full stall, some, some people, they do the full stall and they're like, you know what? Not too worried about the energy management stuff. I just want to master the full stall. So we go and we get really into like, uh, like trying to find deep stall and getting higher in tail slide and exiting slower and exiting smoother. But uh, then the third part is your energy management, which is your spirals, your wing overs, your sats. So, and then, so once you get through that course, we have a lot of guys um, that end up coming back and they don't take another SIV and go do the course again. They come back and they, they work on stuff that's more specific, like, um, like doing helicopters or doing sats, stuff like that. So we've had guys come out, they do one SIV with us. 
Then they come out for another class and they spend three days just doing stalls and trying to get the parachutal down. So. So what is the advantage of going to an SIV course after you become a paramotor pilot? Oh, you learn how to deal with just about any situation you're going to encounter. You learn how to recover your wing, how to fly with your wing half deflated, how to prevent the stalls, how to get out of a stall if you actually do it safely. Um, you build the foundation to to learn acro after that. So it's, yeah. So an SIV course is not to learn acro, it's to learn about your wing. And every time that you get a new wing, it would be kind of uh, who of you to go to an SIV course to see how that wing actually does in an SIV course. I went to your uh, class and I had, uh, I think the Roadster 3 for the first one. And then next time I had a Gin Vantage. Next one, I forgot what I brought, but they all performed differently. Even though they were still a, a 28 meter wing, all of them performed differently. So what do you think about that as far as going to an SIV course to see what your new wing could do or not do? Yeah, and it, it depends on your new wing. You know, like, so if, if you go from like, um like a beginner wing, like a beginner conventional wing, and then you go to like a reflex wing and it's a beginner reflex wing, you can come out and do the SIV on that. But if you start getting into like the hotter end, like pylon racing wings and stuff, you don't want to do an SIV on that. But what we can do is teach you um, other stuff on safer wings. And that will actually translate between wings. So like okay. we, yeah, some of them are too spicy and yeah in certain configurations, if you're like full speed bar on like a really hot wing and you pull the deflation, it's probably going to be a reserve throw. So rather than just doing that, we, we work on like the finer stuff, like really dialing in stalls or really dialing in the energy management. So. Okay. looks like we got a lot of questions in the super chat. Will. Yeah, man. Um, it's Bonnie Franz. She's coming up with some good questions. Another question for Andrew, how much does your SIV course cost? It's 1200 bucks. Uh, we do one day of ground school, three days of towing, and we only we do up to five tows a day, and we do minimum three people in our course and maximum four people. So you get a lot of time, and you, and you always get all your tows. So a lot of other SIV, actually every other SIV is minimum eight students per boat. And you, when you get out there, you're, you're, there's too much time in between your flights or you're rushed to get them in, and you're lucky if you get three tows a day. But if you cut that number in half, then everything eases up. You can spend more time with the instructor in between toes. And yeah. Okay. So it's a four day course. And the first day is all about ground handling. Mm -hmm. And and what does that do for you? I mean, because obviously it's just ground school where we just talk about what we're going to do. You know, we do all the questions and we'll do stuff too. Like sometimes, um, sometimes the weather comes in and we get a day where we can't tow and rather than just sitting around hoping we could fly, we'll go in and do like, I'll teach people how to do reserve repacks and stuff. So we don't, we don't waste a day if we don't get the fly. Or if we only get like a half a day of flying because we know the bad weather's coming in, then we'll actually have everybody throw the reserve on that day. And then we'll take you into a room and then we'll repack all the reserves so you can kind of see how it's done. Oh, okay. So you get to learn how to repack a reserve also in an SIV course. If we have a bad weather day. Excellent. That sounds amazing. Um, I think there's some more questions in the super chat. Will? Uh, yeah, um, I wanted to want to wanted to ask you a question about the SIV. Do you ever get anybody who's afraid to go to an SIV? Afraid to be there? Scared of the what could happen? Or 
You know what I mean? I mean, the butterflies and. Oh, yeah. Well, the first day, everybody's a little nervous. Like, it's just it's just the way it is. Everyone's kind of like, man, I'm about to go out there and do some stuff. And (laughs) first day, everybody's nervous. And then they get they get through the first day. And then the second day, they gain confidence. And the third day, people are feeling sometimes too confident, you know, because they just did all the stuff that they were terrified of. And they did it. And usually it's no problems. So they're like, well, shit, let's just keep going. Let's just, you know, <laughs> like on the third day, you know, like a lot, because, because we get a lot of toes and we, and we tow really high. Like we, uh, we have the fastest tow boat in the whole country, possibly the world. It'll do, it'll do 58 miles an hour. So I can tow you downwind. We don't have to rely as much on the pilot to get a good tow. Like I can make up for a pilot not following the boat so well. Um, so you don't just get like five toes, you get like another thousand feet over there, over other SIVs. And what happens is you have a lot of time where we're going through maneuvers to where at the end of the day, um, I'll just be like, or when we're doing something, I'll be like, Hey, now you're going to go up there and you're going to practice this on your own. And I'm just going to watch you. And sometimes people are like, yeah, man, everything's gone perfect so far. So I'm really going to rip it on this, you know, and I have to be like, whoa, 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 calm, you know, calm down. Let's, let's not do that that big yet. So. That's the number one thing I've heard people say after coming back from an SIV is it really gave them confidence in their equipment or their skills. And it'll melt. It'll actually mellow out a lot of people. Like some people, they come in and they're like, they're like really like they've been doing a lot of stuff before they come to the SIV. And then we go out there and we, we go through all the different steps, you know, cause you don't just step into something. We, we do all the things to build you up to it. And then once they do it, they're like, man, okay, this is what I get into if I screw it up, but my wings hotter than what I'm using in the SIV. And they'll actually dial it back on their paramotors, which, which, I, which I, I like that a lot when people do that, when they're like, okay, I get it. You know, this is a different environment. You got a rescue boat. There's no engine. You got reserves. And um, so they'll go a little, you know, a little harder out there. But then when they get back on their paramotor, they kind of mellow it out. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Cool, man. Well, yeah, I my, my first SIV was six months after flying. And I went there thinking that these little these little S turns were wing overs. No. Yeah, I remember <laughs> but, um, that. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I learned how to really do a wing over. I'm like, wow, the wing is way down there. How about that? You know, and uh, flat down spirals and all the stuff that I learned over there is just absolutely amazing. But just like Andrew said, you know, after you uh, do an SIV, once you get on the paramotor, you're, you don't want to really do the uh the flat down spirals and wing overs and stuff like that it's like you know what i feel very confident on my wing i feel very confident in what i'm doing i feel confident in in my gear and this wing knowing that if there is a collapse it's just gonna go poof right back out and I'm, i'll be safe so i really enjoyed uh going to the siv courses i feel like i'm a better pilot because of that oh yeah 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 i, I keep the uh the free flight and the paramotoring is separate it wasn't always that way like I learned a lot of acro on the paramotor, but once I got, once I got to the SIV scene, I was like, okay, paramotors, I'm going to fly those like with the ground game, nice and low. Um, you know, a lot of foot dragon, stuff like that. Basically like either like a jet ski or a four wheeler, but I'm flying. And then in free flight, it's, it's all acro, but I, I usually don't, you know, I fly them, the way I fly paramotor and, P- and PPG is, or PG and PPG is different. So Agreed. Um, in your uh, in your opinion, um, I went to your class after six months of flying. But on average, what do you think would be a good amount of time for a student 
to be able to go from learning to fly and then going to an SIV course? I mean, we've had students come out after 12 flights and they're, they got 12 flights in beginner training and then they came out to our SIV and they did really well. It, I think, I think if once you can like launch and land comfortably and you can kite reverse and forward and like you're confident when you go to launch, I think it's, that's time to go check out an SIV. Um, and then if you've been doing paramotoring for a while or paragliding for a while and you're serious about it, take an SIV. I, uh, we had a guy come down and buy a frame. He was from Switzerland and he was telling me they have to get 65 flights for paragliding certification, 65 flights and an SIV before you're signed off in Switzerland. Wow. And I'm like, now that that's training right there. You know, like we can't do that because it's, there's too much time. You know, you can't take off like two months or six weeks or whatever and do training. It's hard to just for people to take off two weeks and do training. But when he told me that I was like, you know, like, if everything was free and none of us had jobs and we could just, that's the way I would do it. So your, your school is four days. Can you break it up to do a Saturday and Sunday and then the next week, the other Saturday and Sunday, or does it have to be consecutive? Uh, consecutive. Okay. But you can come like, once you do the SIV, you can come back and jump in on a class. So like, you know, we do three or four people, but then, um, once you know, you know, you know how to hook in your own toe bridles, you've already been out there. You're just out there like more for like the practice part of it. Then you come out and I run the class as normal and then you jump in where there's space. And yeah, you can come out for a day or two days. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Yeah. That's where we'll spill. We'll fill like a fourth spot like that, or sometimes like the fifth spot. Um, but like when they come back out, it's a little bit cheaper, but they're also like second in line behind the first time students. Okay, that's pretty excellent. Um, so tonight, you're going to be giving away something, and we're going to be giving away something. Did you want to talk about what you're going to be giving away right now? Uh, repack. Okay, and what is that exactly? What are we What are we talking about? Oh, I take your, you should get your um, reserve repacked every year. Um, the more freshly it's repacked, the faster it opens. So, uh, yeah, whoever wins it, just ship me your thing, and I'll... Uh, I'll hang it up. You know, you let all the wrinkles get out and then you, you pack her up nice and good and send her back. All you got to do is pay shipping. So let me ask you this. You just said that you should have it repacked every year. Mm -hmm. So let's say that somebody got a uh, reserve and they didn't send it in that first year and they didn't send it in the second year, they didn't send it in the third year. Um, what would be the difference between three years of not repacked opposed to a freshly repacked reserve? What's the difference, do you think? Well, especially if it's a factory pack, it'll take a long time to open. So like you'll throw it, it'll come out and it'll just be streamer in behind you. And it takes a while for the wind to get in there. It's kind of like if you've had a certain laundry sitting in your drawer for like three years and you pull that shirt out and it's just crisp. The same thing happens with the reserve where all the material is so pressed together and it fits so tight together that it's hard for the air to get in there and actually open it up. And especially when they when they pack them from the factories, they pack them so perfect that every, everything's lined up with no wrinkles and they can actually stick together pretty good. And then if you have high humidity or it gets rained on, then that, that really makes them stick together. And uh, when you repack it, it kind of shakes everything up and makes sure the material's not sticking to itself and it'll open a lot faster. Okay, so you're giving away a free repack today. Um, since we're talking about repacking, you started a new company 
So you're, you did paramotors, you do an SIV, and now you do something else. Tell us about your new company. I do glider inspections. <clears throat> yeah, so I do the repacks, glider inspections, and glider lines. And uh, yeah, another thing you should do every year, <clears throat> maybe not as necessary if you have a glider that's only a year old, but definitely like your second year, you want to get it inspected, see how much life is left on the canopy. Um, so we we test the porosity of the, can the canopy, how well it holds air. We do ripstop tests to see how, how strong the fabric is. We take lines off and break them and make sure that they're within spec. And then we just, we go through and patch up all the holes, make sure all the stitching's good, do the symmetry on the risers. So just check the whole thing out and then replace anything that needs it. So. Well, that's really awesome. So if I needed a uh, wing to, uh, to be checked and I send it to you, um, I would ship it to you. Mm -hmm. You would inspect it. You would sign off on it, but if it needed a line, you could redo the line. Mm -hmm. uh, and patch holes. Um, anything else that you would be doing? Um, yeah, I mean, we check all the risers. Sometimes, sometimes they fail line break tests, um, and then we'll, you know, get to pay extra for it. But we'll reline them for you. Um, so put a whole new line set on there for free, or not for free, but put a whole new line set on there for you. And um, we go. There's all kinds of stuff that you find on gliders. Uh, things start coming unstitched in the risers. You'll find little things in the leading edge or the trailing edge that are starting to become unstitched and we just you know put them back together so andy do any of those lines ever stretch yes they all stretch or shrink depends the a's usually stretch especially on reflex wings and the d's and c's shrink huh. and then yeah yes and I guess some all the pressures on the a's all the yeah, uh, especially, especially on the reflex wings so the reflex wings really get a lot of uh a lot of stretch so it's really who of you to get your lines inspected and your wing inspected every year especially if you fly a lot yeah yeah i i definitely like um we've been getting a lot of ones that are failing the line break test the canopies last a lot longer than the lines Usually if a glider is over four years old, it's going to fail that line break test. Or if you fly it real hard, like for a couple of years and you fly it hard, it's going to fail. Is there an hour equivalent to four years old or what is? Uh... Um, I, I'd say about a, maybe 150 to 200 hours. Depends. If you're flying, if it's like reflex wings, they take a lot more load on the A's. So like conventional wings, like the free flight ones, they last they last a lot longer because the the weight is distributed along the lines a lot better but the reflex ones and it also depends like if your trimmer's out then you're putting a lot more pressure on those lines too so a lot of it depends on how you fly it like you can get two wings they're both the same age um they'll both hit the same on uh like if one of the high kiting wing like they use it for a lot of kiting not a lot of flying then the canopy goes a lot faster but if one is flown more aggressive by a more aggressive pilot it'll fail it'll fail a line break a lot a lot faster so so what if we have like a, a line that breaks if i uh call up you or get up with you you do send out lines and if you do how much are those uh 25 bucks a line and seven bucks for shipping okay excellent um i know that we talked a little bit about uh um using ppg grandpa if you are wanting a line 
and you mentioned PPG Grandpa to Andrew Fuller, what can you do for us? Uh, 20 bucks a line. So you get five bucks off a line. And is that multiple lines to say that I want, you know, five different lines? Is it $20 per line? Excellent. So if you need lines, make sure you get up with Andrew Fuller and tell him that PPG Grandpa sent you and he will get you these lines for $5 off uh, retail. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like lines, we usually get out in a day. And then inspections, we've been able to get all our inspections out in a week. So I just don't, I don't like having, I don't like having like sewing stuff, anything that's related to rigging or sewing sitting around the shop too long. So like that stuff I take care of first, same with like, when we do the quick release harness conversions or people come, they have like a harness that's starting to come apart. They need it stitched. All the sewing stuff we do, we do very quickly. So. Excellent. It is almost 7.30 and we got two giveaways, two big giveaways. Uh, we're going to be giving away a Vortex Aero travel mug or a Chase Cam absolutely for free. So if you want to be in this drawing, make sure you at Will Fly in the Super Chat tell them that you want to be on the spinning wheel of Winnie Things. We're going to be doing that in about two minutes. And we're also going to be giving away... Um, a free reserve repack for uh, Andrew Fuller's new company. And what is the actual new company's name? It's uh, paraglider Wow. That is amazing. Now that's a good.com. I, I, I'm kind of jelly on that one. That's a really good.com. Uh, we also have a lot of questions in the super chat, and Will Fly has been uh, keeping that going over here. Will Fly, what's the next? question that we have on the super chat next one is uh tony marzano wants to know how many people are worried about gators we've only had one person that was nervous about like that was truly nervous about gators and it didn't matter what i told him he was he was sure that uh he was going to get targeted right <laughs> <laughs> how'd it turn out i mean is he still with us Oh yeah, man. He, he he threw his reserve and he was out in the middle of the lake and uh, I come pulling up in the boat and, you know, most people, they hit the water and then they forget about gators, right? They're like, un, you know, so he's undoing his stuff and he's kind of, and he, as soon as I pull up in the boat, he just like come, he doesn't go around to the back of the boat and climb up on the back. No, he just comes right over the bow with all his. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that you could like, like point behind him and say, Holy, you know, like something's coming up. <laughs> when, we first, when we first started the SIVs, I purchased one of those Gator remote control Gator heads. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it came in from China and it didn't work. <clears throat> it didn't work with the dam. Darn it. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm gonna have to get me a good one to like come up and drop it in there and sneak up on them. But yeah, that, that's awesome. Jim, did you want to? Yeah, sure. I was just thinking, though, I, when, I've i been thinking about your SIV and, and going in with the Gators. And I go water skiing up here. And even the Northern Pike, it's always in my mind. One of these things is going to come and bite my hand or my foot. I don't. <laughs> but I'm going to make it to, I'm going to go in with the Gators for sure. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Tony had another question, though. He's wondering what kind of warranty comes with the SkyTap paramotors. I mean, if it's a manufacturer defect, then, then we warranty it. Uh, but, you know, it's a year on the Viterazzi, 
on the on the motors. But if it's like if it's something that comes apart because um, like it was manufactured defect, then we just warranty it. So sounds good. There's, there's uh, JP sent us a video, and I just watched it. I, I'd like to share it. Okay, so that's cool with you. Sure. Um, if JP sent it to you, hopefully it's a good one. Yeah, no, I really I haven't watched it. I'm just gonna go live with it. We'll see. <laughs> Let's see. Actually, that's the wrong one, isn't it? I don't know. Oh. Is it too small or can you see it? I don't know. It just says log in related videos. Hmm. Let me try it again. Okay. It was actually pretty cool. Uh let's see. That. Now, can you see it? Yeah, okay. Okay. So, uh, do you remember this, Andrew? I do. I don't have a TikTok, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's demonstrating the durability of the cage. Yeah. I mean, check this out. Doing a cage drag all, all across the, the field. Who Who's doing that one? Uh, was that you doing it? Yeah. Oh, that was really cool. I know yeah. that I know that Leah did it too and uh was tearing up the uh the ground. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> she got in trouble with bad apples. I got <laughs> I got Joe. I don't fly at bad apples because I'm not allowed to cage drag. You know, it's there's too many rules. I like the rules, but it's like I kind of like, you know, kind of like showing off, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, I, I tell you what, um, I cage drag a lot. And one of the things that I like about it is that on nil wind days, nil wind, I can gas it 100%. It's behind me. I can do a powered forward and not worry about that cage flexing at all. Matter of fact, there's no way I can reach back and get my fingers stuck in a prop, no matter if I try or not. You, you just can't get your fingers caught in the prop. It's really good design. Yeah, with, wow. with both our, yeah, with both our frames right now, we hardly sell any cage pieces. Um, we cage. finally finally had yeah, we finally had somebody uh break the chassis of the angel. Um finally, after like three and a half years. What he what he did was he came in to do a wingtip drag and the wing he hit the wing so hard that it took like a 40% deflation, and then he rotated like his cage, you know, he's like this. He actually rotated around backwards and caught. So he's doing, he was doing a turn to the right, but he rotated and he caught the left back of the cage on the ground and ripped it forward and then tumbled. You know, and he was, he actually managed to break. Uh, he actually managed to break the whole thing. It was pretty impressive. Yikes. Um, well, at least I learned a new lingo tonight. What's you that? The cage drag. I've never yeah. heard of that. Yeah. Well, that's because yeah, I could be like, yeah. That's yeah, because you, you can't cage drag before. You can't do that on anything else other than an angel. You know, you do that on anything else, and you're going to be tearing up your your paramotor. Oh, oh, so you can only do it on a certain a certain. You're like Linda. Don't get any ideas. No, 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 no. Only no, no, do no. it on the angel. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. <laughs> It is 7.35, so before we continue that, let's go ahead and spin the spinny wheel real quick. Uh, this is for either a Vortex Aero travel mug or a chase cam. Uh, you just let us know what you would like in the super chat 
Uh, we'll fly whenever you're ready, my friend. Bet. Hope I got everyone. And you guys need to be here for the free reserve pack. Uh, this one, um, if you just get up with me, you'll have it. No big deal. But that free reserve pack, you must be present to win. Whenever you're ready, sir, spinzy will. All right. I got one more in there. So we're going to shuffle. And All right. Yeah. Good luck, everybody. Good luck. Good luck. Who's going to win? I think it's going to be Plainfield PPG. Really? Let's see. Uh, David Ruff, probably. David Wolf. I don't know. They're they're probably going to be um, battling it out, I think. Let's see. Is Plainfield <laughs> PPG? Is that in Indiana? Uh, I don't know. Plainfield, are you in Indiana? Uh oh. Oh. Oh, oh, kind of like lift, lift paramotor. No way. Congratulations, <laughs> Austin. All right. All right, buddy. Hey, Congratulations. Uh, you got my number, so just text me and uh, let me know if you want the, uh, the um, Vortex Aero travel mug or a 3D printed um chase cam all right we got a bunch of questions left will what's the next <clears throat> question i got a question no scuba <laughs> has a question scuba, go for go for it well i asked this question to david ruff and since he's in chat and i got all you guys here i can get everybody's opinion how long do you think you can store gas or mix gas before it goes bad what's the safe range before you you should get rid of that gas and get new gas. Well, don't get rid of it because you can always put it in your generator or weed eater or something like that. Right. But some of the oil does tend to separate. Even if you shake it back up, it'll still be separated and uh, could cause your uh, motor to run kind of hot. Uh, Andy, what do you have for that? I would say after after five weeks, definitely do it. That being said, I've waited four months and gone right out there and flown. And yeah. uh, my gas is from last September. Get rid of it. <laughs> I'm just saying that's how old my gas is right now. So I'm like, yeah, I probably need to change that gas. Well, <laughs> it, it, I do the same it, thing in my boat. If if we if we go a month without doing an SIV, then I take all the gas and I put it into my truck. Yeah, that's what I do with my paramotor fuel. Put it in my vehicle. Mm -hmm. And then go fill up the jerry can again. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you keep your gas separate and then oil? Because what I do is I get the non-ethanol, put it in a, a five gallon. And only when I'm ready to go out and fly, do I mix my gas uh. and oil. Um, I have had gas, non-ethanol gas in a tank for a long time without any issues remixing it later on but once it's mixed the countdown timer is probably a month i would say would be safe andrew like you like andrew said you know could be five weeks it could be four, you know you could go out there in a couple months it just really is one of those things do you want to chance your engine to get warm jim and possibly burn a hole in it is that why you right. is that why, that's, you, is that why you're getting holes about. in your piston <laughs> is that why you're getting holes in your piston jim <laughs> Are you using old gas? I got holy pistons. 
Only and only. How about you, Will? How about you, Will? How long do you let yours sit around for? I never let my gas sit around. It, it never has a chance to get old. So, I mean, I, I mix five gallons at a time and I use it, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, the guys in the chat, Walter Priori says three months, uh, someone said a year, uh, but but I also use ethanol free gas, which is better for the not attracting the water, right? So, right. I, I wanted to, I, I don't even know if we got a gas station near here that has, you know, ethanol free. I, I did use the high octane gas, but I mean, it, I just got the paramotor and I just I filled up five gallons and mixed a five gallon batch. And this is still that same five gallon batch. So, you know, it's, if it it's wasn't. Old. If it's not non-ethanol, if it has ethanol, it's probably, I, I wouldn't. Right. I mean, it'll still start, but I'm like, yeah, I don't think I should go fly with this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get new gas as soon as it gets a little warmer outside, fresh tank. For do you sure. have any other two stroke things that you could use it for? I mean, all you got to do is pour it out to another, you know. Yeah, I got a leaf camera. blower, a chainsaw, a weed eater. Go. Yeah, I'm good to go on that. Yeah. If Ruff says you lose octane over time, have you checked out the app Pure Gas? No. Yeah, it's, an, it's a free app, and it'll you just you know it'll it goes by your location, and it'll point out all the gas stations that have ethanol free gas. Oh, that's cool. We got us. We're living in a small city over here in Conway, and we have uh, both the Walmart that has the non-ethanol. We got Casey's that has non-ethanol. We have another gas station that has non-ethanol. I mean, it's all over the place, the non-ethanol. And it's only like 50 cents more, and it right. lasts a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it lasts a lot longer in a, a five-gallon jug before you mix it. Like I said, I still got some in there from last year. Last year, right? And um, I'm still going to use it because it's not it hasn't been mixed. I think that, you know, uh, as far as ethanol-free gas goes, it's been pretty easy to find in rural areas, easier to find in rural areas than in, you know, uh, what, urban areas. So maybe that's because of the farmers or I don't know, but apparently enough people use it. That... I've never used it. I've never used Avgas or uh, ethanol-free. I have heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Someone else said, uh, someone else said that. Uh who said it? I don't remember. He said he's never ever used ethanol free gas. Yeah, I mean not not really. Much. If you use it regularly and you just you know you keep it going, I I don't see the advantage of it myself. But same, same with my boat. Like that's like that's like forbidden in boats, and I've never put it in my boat, and that thing runs that thing runs like a champ. Um, it's just that it breaks down the uh, um, the carburetor, um, all the. Uh, Oh, the gaskets in the carburetor a lot faster. Um, I can tell the difference between a carburetor that run non-ethanol and ethanol. I can tell the difference. Uh, after a year of running non-ethanol, everything still works great. Uh, a machine that has run ethanol, all, all the um, everything is a lot more solid. You, it doesn't flex well. Things uh, leak, so it, it's... It's one of those things that if you're able to spend that extra couple bucks, it does make a difference, you know, in the not longevity. So the extra, yeah, for me, it's not the extra couple bucks. It's the extra couple miles to drive, you know, mm. that's that's for the for the boat. It's about the money for the paramotor. It's about driving to where the, you fill up your boat to get the, you know, I'm like, ah, 
drive that far. Gotcha. But, That's yeah, interesting. We're getting away with it for like a decade. So it's <laughs> yeah. Um, good question. Um, anybody in the super chat, uh, let us know if you use ethanol or non-ethanol. Do you use Avgas? What is your favorite? And have you had any issues with the non-ethanol? Um, all right, uh, Will Fly. What's our next question for him? I think you got this one, don't you? The next question. Uh, has anyone used the reflex glider at his at your SIV course, like the Spider or some B-rated wing? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the the reflex wings will let you use those for like the first phase, which is asymmetrics and frontals and stuff. But then once we get onto the negative maneuvers, we go to conventional wings. And then if they're doing sats and stuff or wing overs, we learn all that stuff on our wings. And then once we know you're not going to spin it or go negative, you can go back to your reflex wing. So. What exactly does mean does it mean to go negative? Stalls, negative spins. So like if you um, if you do a wing over wrong, like you wait too late and you pull like real late and hard, instead of keeping the load up, the wing will actually like go into like a stall. And when it reopens, it's gonna shoot hard. So the best way to get out of that is to stall it and then go to a tail slide and then exit. Or if you're doing a sat, if you pull too hard and pull too early, if you if you don't pull hard enough or you pull too late, it just does a flat down spiral instead of a sat. But if you pull too hard and you pull too early, it does like a one rotation heli, call it like a coconut spin. And it goes up over your head and spins and then it stops. And then it's going to shoot one of the directions real hard. And if it's a reflex wing, it's going to shoot real hard. Um, but you stall it to keep it from shooting. And uh, then you, you know, or, you know, by that time, a lot of people have that stuff figured out and it'll go over their head. It'll spin. And it's, they're able to recognize that it's not going to shoot like they're ready for the surge and they'll actually just catch the surge instead of stalling out. But that's an on the, that's an on the fly decision right there. Okay. Like going negative, like you ever see those, those videos, crash videos when the guy's taken off and like the wings over here and then it goes slower and slower and slower. And then all of a sudden the wing does that's because the wing went negative. That's a negative spin. So now you can't stall out of it when you're 30 feet off the ground, but we do stuff to help you recognize when the negative spin is. So one of the things we do after you do full stalls is we'll have you, and what, what causes that on takeoff is the prop is torquing to the right. They're trying to weight shift to the left, but they have their butt on the wrong side of the seat. So they're actually weight shifted to the right. So they're trying to compensate the prop torque and their weight shift with left brake and they slow the glider down to where it's not moving fast enough. And then that's when it goes negative. So the way we simulate that in the SIV after you do stalls is we have you weight shift really hard to one direction and then pull opposite brake and, and it'll go slower, slower, slower. And then the wing, when you're, when you're doing a spiral, the wing is flying like this, when it goes negative, it'll go like this. So it turns the forward motion and it goes like this. And you can actually feel it like bite and go to twist. And when it goes negative and you can let your hands up and it'll just go whoop, and then it'll fly out. Had you held it like a half a second longer, it would just go into a negative spin. And then if you don't put your hands up fast enough, then you have to stall it and get out. But that's one of the, that's one of the things we do to help people recognize what that negative, like 
what like a pre-negative spin feels like and then what it feels like right when it goes negative. Because if you catch it quick enough, you can fly out of it. If you catch it too late, then you need to stall out. So. All right. Um, next question, please. You've got uh, <clears throat> got quite a few. Some some are just comments. Um, do uh, students have one or two reserves at the SIV course? Mandatory one, two if you want it. Cool. So you usually got a reserve in the back, and if they want another, a secondary front mount, they can have a secondary front mount. And it also depends on the student, and it depends on what they're doing. You know. So well, that makes sense if they're doing more dangerous stuff. Yeah, they, that makes perfect sense. David Ruff made a comment. He said, man, those 5,000 or those 5K toes were amazing. And how confident I felt after the class in thermals, bar none, A plus. So cool. Uh -huh. And then Jeremy asked, is anybody, uh, ask Andy about his bar tacker. He loves that thing. <laughs> I do love that thing. That's my favorite. That's my favorite sewing machine. That's what I I do all the work I can with that bar tacker, unless I have to use something else. But yeah, it's a strong wow. stitch. Basically, it goes. It does a straight stitch this way, and then it zigzags over it, and then it does a straight stitch this way, and then it zigzags over it. I've seen your, I've seen your sewing machine. I'm I'm sorry, man. I've seen your sewing machine. It's amazing. I mean, that's like a heavy duty. You brought it to Bad Apples, I think, one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonnie asked earlier what. What is the SAT? I mean, does SAT stand for something? Is that like sudden acro turn or is it that's just the name? Yeah, I think that's up for dispute. Um, <laughs> like the Swiss say it's a Swiss acro trick. It's like they were like the first people to figure it out. Um, like people knew you could do a SAT because if you screw up real bad, sometimes you'll end in a SAT, right? Like if you take a really big deflation and it sticks in there, you can do a SAT. But they were kind of like, how the heck do we actually enter it from straight and level flight? You know, because they've only they've only seen it happen to people when this is, you know, 30 years ago. So apparently the Swiss were the first people to um, to figure it out. So they call it a Swiss acro trick. And then um, some people call it a stupid ass trick. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. It actually doesn't accomplish anything except for showing off. Um, but at that that's kind of that's the main that's the main thing that a lot of people want to learn. So. Like in the SIV, like if you if you get all the way up there, like the SAT, SAT's usually one of the things that people ask about. But it is, it's one of, it's like, I think the most important thing you can do in the SIV is a stall or learn how to stall. And the next one is the reserve throw. And people, after all this stuff people will do, it's the reserve throw that makes people nervous because the entire SIV in your entire flying career, you have control of the wing. And then when you're doing a reserve throw, you have to like abandon control of that wing and then throw out your laundry and then disable the wing. So it's, it's counterintuitive, but I've seen some like, like real high end pilots <clears throat> that are like doing really well in the SIV and it comes time for, uh, it comes time for the reserve throw. And they're like, man, I'm a little nervous about this one. It was like, really? After all the stuff you've done, but yeah. So I, I say it stands for Swiss acro trick. I don't think it's that stupid. No. Cool. Okay. So I know that a lot of people are, you know, that uh, may or may not have um, pulled their reserve. Uh, here is a quick video where I was at the SIV course 
and I was explaining if my computer is not going to chop up on me is uh, how long does it actually take to open up and I may not have enough uh, bandwidth to do this and it doesn't look like I do so what I'll do is I'll just share the link in the uh, super chat um, what else uh, what other uh, questions do we have for her? you've got uh, David Wolf says could you please ask Mr. Fuller what happens when he calls me from his cell phone? Oh man, I just did it again. <laughs> Don't you <laughs> <that island? laughs> yeah, so I'm not sure if I accidentally put this in or if somebody else <clears throat> actually did this to my phone because I, I have heard that there's another name in there that I haven't dialed yet. That's Kurt Fister's number. So I have, <laughs> yeah, so I had like, I had, I think somebody else put it in my phone because I actually, I actually spelled his name correctly or I didn't, I wouldn't spell his name correctly. I wouldn't put the E on the end, but uh, I called, I've called Fister twice trying to get a hold of David Wolf. And the second time was like not even a week ago. And I, I, I was being lazy. So I would usually I pull up, I type in, you know, David, and then it comes up and then I check and then I check my messages to make sure it's the right one. Yeah. <laughs> And this last time I was like, I just called it. And as soon as it rung, I hit the cancel button. And I was like, let me check the messages. And before I could even get into my messages, the phone rang back. He's like, who's this? And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm like, is this, is this Wolf or is this, uh, is this Fister? Because uh, Wolf can do like a Kirk Fister impression. Right. And, and you know, I'm sitting there like, uh, so I'm like, is this, is this Fister or Wolf? And he's like, what, what? And I'm like, oh, man, is, is Dave messing with me? And, and then I was like, all right, all right, look, man, I'm sorry. I just did. And he's like, well, what do you want? And I'm like, nothing. I don't want anything, man. I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to change your number to the correct name in my phone now so this doesn't happen again. But yeah, I actually uh, call Kirk Fister sometimes. Because he was, you know, back, he was doing a fly-in like four years ago or three years ago or something. And like before that, he was like, if anybody has a frame that they want to bring up and have me do a comparison on, um, you know, I'd be willing to do it. So I was, that's how I had his number. I was like, I want you to do a comparison on my frame, which he never did. And uh, I even like the one I was going to bring up there, like he doesn't like clutches. So I had one that didn't have a clutch. So I was kind of like, I think I got, you know, it's, it's lighter than what he's got. So I'm like, I think, I think I got all my 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 base is covered here I, I really want to see him try and pick this thing apart and uh as soon as he found out what i was up to he was all about me coming to the flying but as soon as i was like you know i want you to do a review of my frame then he just ghosted me so I still, I still talk to him once a year when i try and call wolf but not anymore i changed the number <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's man. hilarious um more questions i assume well, yeah, any other questions? Yeah, Plainfield PPG was wondering where are where is your SIV class held? Uh, it's in Lake Kissimmee and Tiger Lake, which is about twenty minutes outside of Lake Wales. How big is Tiger Lake? Tiger Lake isn't that big. It's about it's uh, I think it's a mile across and two and a half miles long, and then Lake Kissimmee is like i don't know 20 miles across or something 10 miles across it's it's huge we we've we've only used like we only use like 10 percent of the lake on lake kissimmee 
So, so there's no excuse not to get a high as hell tail. <laughs> you know, if they're not high, you just keep going, just keep driving, just keep going further out. You don't run out of room. Nope, not on that lake. And the good thing about our boat being so fast is on the smaller lake, we can, like the key is what's hard to do is to come and tow back downwind. So like a lot of boats, they can only go into the wind and they have to zigzag or run like an L-shaped pattern. And ours, if it's blowing under like eight or 10 miles an hour, I can actually go out and then come all the way back in and you get a really high tow and then everything's like positioned perfectly. And I'm rewinding the line like maybe a hundred yards from where the next student's lining up. So. Yeah, and a lot of people that uh, don't fly very high, your first toe is probably going to go up to a mile, about 5,000 freaking feet, which is a lot higher than most paramotor people actually go fly. And uh, when I went there the first time, I never really went more than 2,500 feet. So when I went out there for my first SIV, I doubled my height and looking down was like, wow, I'm so high. <laughs> Yeah, and we get you there real fast, too. It's like eight minutes to get you all the way up. So it's it's climbing out way faster than your paramotor will do. But eight guys, minutes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, eight, eight and a half minutes. Because I, I went to 5,000 on the hang glider, but, you know, it was being towed up, and it took a while to get up to 5,000 feet. Oh, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I pride myself in, like, my towing. You know, like, every tow, I'm like, come on, come on. You know, it's like it's like a personal thing. Um, I, I you ever seen that movie like Ford versus Ferrari where the guy's chasing the perfect lap? Like that's, that's what I think of. Like I'll come around on like the last turn I'm coming in and I've got like just enough line left to make it to the edge of the lake. And if I, if I pull in and like the red line just starts coming out, I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know what? That was, that was the perfect lap right there. <laughs> Did it again. Um, well, you guys were asking earlier about people being scared. There was two that there's two people that really stuck out for me. One guy was like, I thought he was joking. He was like, I just want to do big ears. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I'm going to tell you everything, but we'll, you know, we'll do that first. First toe, he went up, he did big ears. He landed. Everybody else went, we got back to him. I'm like, all right, man, suit up. And he was like, nope, that was all I wanted, man. I was dead serious. Big ears. That was all I wanted to do. That was it. That was <laughs> it. That was all he did. And um, the second one was I was towing this guy up and he just pinned off. Or no, he was getting towed up by the tow tech and he pinned off at like 500 feet. I'm like, okay, like maybe, maybe, maybe the, the weak link broke or something. He landed. We're like, are you all right? You know, you gotta, you know, you gotta go a little higher. And he's like, can I go up to like a thousand feet maybe? And then do stuff. And I was like, no, 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 we stopped moves at a thousand feet. So we get him up like around eight, 900 feet and he pinned off again. And so I figured out like when he was under tow, if I talked to him on the radio, like, Hey man, everything's good. You know, so I'm, I'm driving the boat now and I'm like, we're just going to maintain this pressure. I'm not going to give you any more pressure. And I start dialing up the pressure, you know, and I'd be like, hey, I'm just going to tow you over here. You're probably only at 1500 feet. And he's at like 2500 feet and I like round this. But if I talk to him throughout the tow, he was fine. Like if I took like 25 seconds off from 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 talking with him, he'd pin off. Hmm. What does that mean, Pat? Can you explain like people like me or the, okay, so the pen off, what does that mean? And also the, um, the big, what did you say? The wing? Oh yeah. Big ears is when you what just, they mean? yeah, you just flap in both wing tips. It's like, real safe. Yeah. You're flying down. and you just pull them in and, and nothing oh. happens. And then you let them go and they come out. It's as mellow as it gets. 
What's the pin? The pin thing pin off is when you is when you release. So oh, he kept releasing. Oh, yeah, he, would, he would release. He would release either at 500 feet or unless I stopped talking to him. Gosh. Yeah. So he, he, had, had? he had a really good SIV, though. Like he had a real good SIV, but it took like we had to figure out how we were going to because actually the first day on that on that SIV, the weather wasn't that good. Like the wind was blowing really strong up high. So what we did was we just had each student do two reserve throws because the wind was mellow at like under a thousand feet, but over a thousand feet, it was blowing strong. So we did that the first day. And then, um, and we had figured out that he didn't like being very high. And then, um, so the second and third day, we would just, we, we talked with them. We were able to get him up nice and high. I didn't, I didn't pull him up as high as everybody else. Um, but it was high enough to get everything done. You know, 3000 foot toe is normal for well, normal for SIVs. We usually do four and above 4,000 feet and above. Um, okay thank you yeah i was just wondering about that so yeah just to release the pilot can release whenever he wants oh we recommend hanging on till the top because altitude's the name of the game but because basically when you're pulling the boat and all that you're the boss not them when they're up in the air because you you know you gotta be concerned for their safety and everything too right because some some you get up there and they're braver we're trying to be really brave or whatever. And then you're like, nope, no, not yet. Or you know what I yeah, mean? If they don't want to do something, they just do a big year. So oh, okay. you have big years and then you have one big year, which means no, or hold on or something's oh, up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes people get tired. You know, sometimes they do it once and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Let's move on. Uh, sometimes they don't hear me. So they do a big year. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Hey, Matt, Mad Sloper was wondering, can you do dolphining, beeline stalls, and asymmetric spirals? For is there a preset curriculum for Andy's course? There's a so there's a couple there's once you hit the stall, it's whatever you want to do. So so the, the dolphining we call porpoising. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll do that one. And we'll also like, once you get past the stall, we'll do this thing called a whip stall, which is when you, it's, you pull on the brakes and then you let the glider, then you, you go hands up and the glider surges. And then when you swing back underneath it, when it goes to shoot forward again, you pull brakes, 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 and make it go a little deeper. And then you go hands up. And the idea is to go so far back that when it surges forward, it actually frontals and it's a real frontal. Um, so you, you said you got three stages to your course, right? Or is there four? There's there's three. So on the third stage, does that require a reserve throw? That The reserve throw comes whenever that's convenient. Ah, whenever it's convenient. I was just wondering, did you do the reserve throw before you move on to like acro stuff and all that? No, we do the reserve throw. Like if it's not that good weather on the first day, we do the reserve throw. Let's say you come out, I mean, let's say you get tangled up in something and then you come out and you're flying all good, but you're not going to make it back towards shore. Then rather than you just fly into the water, we say, hey, we're doing the reserve throw now. You know? Ah, okay. I got you. I got you. Yes. Cool. And then if you get through the course, and the water's not too cold, or you're from up north and the water is cold, 
if you get all the way through it and you haven't thrown it yet, then, then you throw it like usually last toe. Um, but sometimes we like to get that in. If people like, like sometimes, and we don't have everybody do reserve throws at the same time. Like sometimes people do three toes and they're like, man, I'm a little tired. I don't want to do the fourth toe. I don't want to do the fifth toe. So I'll be like, Hey, why don't I just, why don't I just tow you up to like 800 feet? You throw your reserve. Then we dry out your gear. And then that part's out of the way. And we don't, we don't spend another toe doing that. Um, but then the other, the other question they were asking about beeline stalls. We do beeline stalls and we do horseshoe, which is when you grab the inner, you like, you know, you have your three A lines. If you grab the innermost, both innermost with one hand and you, and you actually climb up it and the whole wing folds in on itself like this. And then it's a real smooth altitude descent technique. We do those two. I don't recommend those as altitude descent techniques because it's not that good on the glider. But the reason we do those is to prepare for the stall. So your deflations, like your funnels and your asymmetrics is one feeling. And it's, and if you, if you get nervous and you pull the deflation, you let up on the deflation, nothing happens. But a stall is one of those maneuvers where you, there's a moment, like right when you stall it, when the glider's behind you, that you have to hold the brakes down until you get underneath the glider. And then if you let up, you're going to be okay. But there's like a, there's a half a second area right there. Whereas if you don't hold it down, it'll shoot on you and you can jump over it. You can high five the glider. So the reason we do, we do the beeline stall to make sure that you're going to listen and that you're not intimidated and that we're on the same page. Cause the beeline stall, you reach up, you grab the bees, you pull those down and then you hold them. And I execute the beeline stalls with the same commands as um, a full stall. But if you do the beeline stall and right when the glider tacos, you release it, then we got some more training to do because if you were to do that on the full stall, you'd get in trouble. But if you pull the beeline stall and you hold it and then you just hold it there while I'm telling you to hold it. And then when I say release, you release, then you trust me. I trust you. We can move on to the full stall. So it's not one of the things we teach for like an altitude descent technique. We teach it as like, there's no way to bridge from the asymmetrics and frontals to the negative maneuvers. Um, in a, in a perfect world, like, if fear didn't exist, the first thing I would do in an SIV is tow you up. And if the gear dried instantly, the first thing I would do is tow you up and have you throw a reserve. Then the, then the gear magically dries. And the next thing I would do is teach you how to full stall. And then we would do the rest of the course the way it was kind of laid out. But the full, the full stall is too intimidating. So you have to do the first phase to make sure everybody's on the same page and make sure all the commands are working. And then even that's not enough. Then we do like the beeline and the horseshoe on one toe just to kind of prep you for it and to make sure that, that everything's lining up. So I saw uh, when Sean was trying to do his stall, was he just weak or he, you know, because he was trying to pull the bees down. He was argh, argh, so, the whole video. <laughs> so for, for, for you, for those of you that don't know the uh, story behind this, is that at the end of 2017, I had heart surgery and a stroke is a, a complication. Um, I was getting better over the course of 2018. And then 2019 is when I learned how to fly and I went to do his SIV. So I was still weak um, everywhere because of the uh, stroke thing. But um, now going over there, it's like no problem. I can do pull-ups on it. So it was just, I was still weak because of the stroke thingy. But yeah. It's still difficult. I mean, 
you don't know it's really hard for you to imagine how much tension are on those lines and when you try to do your first you know um uh, stall uh, a line stall or b line stall or frontal you, you it's it's a lot of work and then immediately as soon as you let go it just opens up so it, it uh, you, you really trust your equipment after that Yep, there's actually a thing that we added after your SIVs. Um, and um, it's a different way of stalling. So we, t we still teach the tail slide one, but we don't always go straight to the tail slide. So what we do is you have you bury the brakes, just like you always do. And the glider falls back and then you come underneath it and then you're in full stall. And you can actually, once you pass that point, once you're underneath the stall glider, and you're not in front of it anymore, believe it or not, if you throw your hands up, you'll fly out of it. So what we do is we teach, you bury the brakes, and then I'm like, okay, full stall, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, you're in full stall, and then I say, check release, and you come up to your chest, and then you go hands up, so you go, boom, boom, and the glider opens up partially, and then opens up all the way, and it actually exits really smooth. Um, but yeah, we actually started doing that way after you came down because it was like, if you, if you, it's really hard, like, it can be hard to hold those brakes down, you know, and if it's, if it's jerking on you and you, there's no way for you to communicate to me mid stall that like, Hey man, I don't think I can pull this tail slide thingy off. Right. And then, but you can check release and come out nice and smooth rather than trying to come up with your hands and then having it actually pull a hand out. So. Yeah, I've I've never felt so destroyed after the SIV course. I mean, I know that uh, I could have still went up, you know, I mean, we went, what, three, four or five times or whatever at the very end of the day, you know, he said, hey, come on up, let's go, let's go do another toe. And I'm like, man, everything's cramped up. I'm so sore. I, I don't have any more energy. And uh, it seems like a lot of people are like that at the end of the day. It's like they you have time to go do another toe, but you're just wore out. Yeah. Yeah. And then like times like that, like, you know, if you're, if you're only three toes in and you're exhausted, that's when we'll do like a reserve throw. Um, but like for me, I, I can only do three toes. I can do more, but after three toes, I start getting worse. Like my, I'll be like, all right, third toe was great. The fourth toe, I'm going to hit everything perfect. And then I'm actually worse on my fourth toe. And then I'll go back up because I'm pissed and I'll do a fifth toe and everything will go to, I'll have even less control. And it's like, just call it. So, um, but the other thing that wears people out is it's not actually the, the toe can get you a little tired, but also just like the intensity of doing something new. You know, you're sitting there going, you know, you got eight minutes of being like, oh God, here we go. We're going to do that thing, you know? And it's eight minutes all the way up. Like, well. And, and if you've never been towed behind a boat like that, is the most crazy feeling you've ever felt because as he's making that big turn going straight it's no big deal but as he's making that big turn now your wing is turning like this and you're pulling as hard as you can to stay underneath that wing and you're going straight with this wing all sideways like this you're like this is weird um but it is it is very interesting nonetheless it, the the whole thing is definitely worth it uh definitely need to go do an siv course if you haven't uh, you learn so much. It is 8.10, just turned to 8.11 p.m. 
uh, Central Standard Time. So let's go ahead and do that uh, spin for a free reserve pack. And uh, we will continue this interview after the, after the spin because man you still learn so much and uh still haven't even talked to you much about your new uh your new business it's all about the siv which is really awesome so whenever you're ready mr will we'll go ahead and do a spin and this is for the free reserve pack if you don't have a reserve can they use it later on can they just hold on to that free reserve pack until they get a reserve? Well, if they don't have a reserve, they should buy one immediately and then send it to me a year later. Yeah. <laughs> got to fly with the reserve. Yeah. Excellent. We have got a ton of questions in the chat too. They've been burning it up, Sean. <laughs> your, your wheel thing. I, I can't see the spinning wheel. I just see like the top part. Let's see. Let's try it again. All right. it took, me, it took me two times last time. There we go. Nope. Yeah, here. Is that better? Mm, there we go. I see it now. <laughs> okay. All right. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Shuffle, shuffle. Do the truffle shuffle. And, and this okay. is from uh, paramotorinspection.com. We'll see. Look at all the chatters. Hi, chatters. Thank you for joining us tonight. How many people Maybe we got John watching? Wayne. Uh, I can't see it now. How many people we got uh, watching right now? I can't see. A lot. 40 watching and 16 thumbs up. Excellent. Nice. Oh, is it geriatric lift again? Geriatric PPG. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Looks like John Wayne's going to win it. Oh, that's so close. John Wayne, congratulations, buddy. <laughs> Right on, man. Cool. Uh, did uh, did Austin ever tell us what he wanted? Um, or was there a choice? Uh, he can just text me. Um, he, uh, we we chat on the phone a lot, so just text me and let me know what you want. It's no big deal. Hey, since you got all the names up there, can you um, say hi to everybody that's on uh, that's hi, that's everybody. on the list? Hi, everybody. Hi. Well, I know John Wayne has a reserve too because you can see it in his videos. He's got a reserve in front, so that's it went to a good person. Absolutely, good deal. Hey, did Plainfield PPG ever say if he's in Indiana? Oh, yeah, Plainfield PPG. I'm sorry if you. Yeah, yeah, if he's in Indiana, I got somebody for him. Cool, cool. So to our chatters, we got James in the house, Greg Laney, and hold on a second. David Couch, David Wolf, Geriatric PPG, Lift Paramotor, Stephen Goodpaster, Flying Flamingo Jade, Never Trust a Skinny Chef Shane, Walter Priori, Priori, Boss Walter, uh, Bonnie Franz is in the house, David Ruff, Brian Franz, John Wayne, Tony Marzano, Jeremy, Matt Sloper, Charlie Wash, Travis DuPont, Hi, Charlie. PPG. <laughs> uh, I think I got Jeremy in there twice, maybe. I think I do. Maybe not. Yeah, no, I do. A-Lines, what's up? JP Tulo, what's going on, man? Joel, Adele, Angela Preslick, Angela Preslick, Deweese Milstead, and Goldie Teal. Deweese, much love. Oh, oh, I see somebody without glasses. I know what that means. Uh-huh. That means I need to put on my glasses. All right. 
Uh, hey, Andrew. Do the thumbnail, everybody. Pay attention. Never trust a skinny chef. Shane wants to know if you're going to that new fly-in this year. Ooh. Yeah, it's flight for Gage, and that is in Bowling Green, Florida. Oh, you sent me something about that. That's yeah. next, that's next weekend, I think, right? No, 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 June. June. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's far enough out. It's in Florida. I'll be there with all the sewing machines and everything. <laughs> right on. I'm going to be bringing my uh, wing to you. Awesome. All right. So, are you ready? Ready. ready. One, two, three. We got it. Excellent day. Thank yeah. you. Linda takes off her glasses. I got to put on my glasses. <laughs> Andy, see, are you going to be going to I, Arizona? You see who the PR is here, right, Andy? You see who runs the show. You know what I'm saying? I, I see that. <laughs> I keep them all in line. And when it's time to do thumbnail, that's the only way they pay attention to me. Otherwise, I'm like, I'm, <laughs> you know, messaging them whenever. Yeah, it's all fun. Zach Gannon just joined us, and so did Wiggy Wing. Okay. Andy, will you be going to uh, Arizona or California this in a week or two? That's just too far to pull that toy hauler. Yeah. I keep saying next year, next year, and I'm like, ah, okay, I don't have to do it again next year. I really want to go to that Arizona Flying Circus, though. I've, I've heard only good things about that. Where's the best place to buy a reserve? And should you mount it in the front or is the side more preferable? So I like them in the side because I use the quick release harness. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, I've never thrown a reserve in combat, but I have quick released out twice. Um, the front is the, is significantly easier to find. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. I, I mean, I've just heard the horror stories of people's reserves actually going off while they're flying. That would, that would be bad, right? Yeah, you got to check your pins. Uh, yeah. like the free flight guys, bef before they launch, part of their pre-flight inspection that paramotor guys don't do is they actually look and make sure that their pins or like their weed whacker line is through right. those holes and everything. Because an accidental deployment can break your back. You know, like... Because, you know, if it accidentally deploys, it's going to do it when you're right after you take off, usually. Um, so I, I, I know a couple people that's happened to. But mm -hmm. I, I prefer it on the side. Um, but it, and that's like the, the front mount one is a lot easier to find. And it's actually easier to throw. The way I throw the front mount ones is I grab it and I pull. And then when it breaks out, I just in one motion throw it so it's actually faster too and with it being in front you have two hands you can grab it this one and throw or this one and throw if you got one only on the left side and maybe you're all tangled up and you can't reach down then how are you going to really get to it so if you're going to have a side mount get one on each um, i personally like the uh, front mount because i fly many different paramotors and it's just easy for me to grab my reserve and put it on any uh anything that i fly yeah you can still that's, get out like yeah we had a guy with the, with one of our quick release harnesses and he went into the water and he had a front mount and he and he just reached underneath the front mount and pulled his release and got out but it's also you know i, I care a lot about convenience and the front mount's just one more thing to hook in you know like i really like to just get in my paramotor and go thing you know, so especially with the quick release, I can get in really quickly. 
you know, it's just as fast in as it is out. So I really like that, like, pop, 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 start the motor, get up and launch it. You know, I, I almost try and launch fast just because I think it's so cool that we can launch so fast. Well, you've also been flying for an awful long time, too. So you know how to do that. New pilots probably shouldn't go very fast. Do your checklist and be very cautious and careful. Yeah, the way the well, I should probably I should probably say when I I set everything up, like I said, all I, I don't usually walk out there with my paramotor on my back and then hook into my paraglider. I usually walk my paramotor out first while it's warming up, and then I bring out the paraglider and then I hook everything up. And then I get in and everything's hooked up. Then I, I just get in and then go. Um, I but, do too. And it's really awesome to have a, uh, a machine that does it in the SkyTap Angel. That's one that you can uh, pull out there on its skids, uh, clip it all in and stuff, look around. And when you are ready, then you sit down, clip in, and then you stand up and go. Matter of fact, I've done a lot of videos to show that I don't have the weight of a paramotor on my back, but for a maximum of 60 seconds. Once I lay out my wing, I clip into the paramotor, then I sit down in the paramotor, lean forward, start it up, make sure I get on my checklist, stand up, ready to go. I take off and it's on my shoulders less than 60 seconds. Yeah, I think I think another reason like I, I do that, you probably do that too, is for like, I don't like to break a sweat before I fly. If I have to hike my, if the last thing I do is hike my paramotor out, you know, like a hundred yards across the field, then I break a sweat and then I start flying around at 40 miles an hour and <laughs> it's a little colder than I get cold. So it's like, I like to, I like to be in like the same heart rate and like, you know, perspiration, I guess, uh, on the ground is when I'm flying. So like, I'll take my time getting my stuff out there to the field, but when it's go time, it's go time. So, but yeah, and that's so why totally that's why I like the light trikes too. You don't have to have anything on your back. You just sit down and it's very comfortable. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it sounds like it's a, a no win situation because you're afraid of your pair, your your uh, reserve deploying, and then when you throw it, you're afraid that it's not going to open. So I mean, <laughs> it's like you can't win with these things. But I mean, uh, it's David Wolf was talking about the the guy who. You know, he just threw it. It it, it opened at the uh, his reserve opened at the very last second and saved his life. That was I can't remember where I saw that video, but it was not too long ago. Um, so he's saying, yeah, throw it no matter what, even if you're low, because you never know. Yeah, I think I think he's talking about the video. I just posted one a couple months ago where a guy was like 35 feet off the ground and he threw it and it was open by the time he was 25 feet off the ground. Yeah. And there was another one uh, where the guy threw at least two reserves and the first reserve didn't open. And the second reserve, he might have even thrown three reserves. The third one finally opened. Um, yeah, the second one he pulled he pulled up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was just like that's some hairy stuff. It, you know, when you're doing the, the stalls in the SIV, does it ever get to the point where it feels like you're free falling? No. It so never there's, there's right. So it's like breaks, 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 and then the glider goes whoop. And then from here to here, and as soon as it happens, it's over. You feel slightly weightless. You're not weightless, weightless, but you feel it from here to here, and that's it. And then okay. when you're in full stall, so we have them hold it in full stall and hold it for like to desensitize them. Because the first are like, holy crap, you know, and it's bucking. And then you're like, 
you're in full stall, relax. And they're kind of like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, everything's good. And you're coming down at like the same speed as you, as you are under a reserve throw when you're in like, so there's just the, like the initial whoop, and then you're just coming down. So I remember when I, and I've had people tell me this too, but I remember when I did my first full stalls, like seven years ago, six years ago, I remember I was in full stall and I felt after I stalled it, I was like, I feel good. And the instructor's like, start bringing your hands up. And I'm like, but this is, this is good. You know, like every, you know, if you were to hit the water in a full stall, it's very slow. Um, like if you're, if you're really low, like you're, if you're truly too low to throw your reserve and the, and the glider's negative and you're in full stall, then just ride the, the, the full stall on the ground. That's going to be safer than letting it up and letting it shoot and then throwing your reserve. So, and then tail slide, tail slides way slower than a reserve throw. Cause you actually have some forward movement. It's actually not forward movement. It's backwards. So, I mean, you're coming down really slow in tail slide. And if you get that tail slide really high up, you're almost not losing altitude. Like you can get all the way to where you're in parachutal, which is when the wings open, but not flying. And, um, it's hard to maintain it there, but you're coming down like extremely slow, probably like two meet, maybe two meters a second. If you're in a good tail slide. And most reserves uh, are five reserves point, are five point five meters a second. Yeah, unless you get if you get anything steerable, because they have forward motion, you can get that down to like three point five. Yeah, and I, I I got a beamer and it's steerable, and you can also flare at the very end. So when you're going down. You know, you're going to go down and touch down lightly like a butterfly. And yeah. that's what grandpa wants. I don't want to be landing at 5.5 meters a second. What is that? 12 feet a second? That's like jumping off a house. I don't want oh, to do that. Yeah, it's like it's like 17 feet a second. It's 16 and a half feet per second. It's falling. But there's a new reserve out called the uh, Cortel Design, and it's a square steerable. And so it's it has like a 1.5 glide ratio. So it just moves forward just, just enough to give you an a little bit of forward motion to cut your glide down to like 3.6 meters a second. And what was this called again? I want to write this down and figure this one out. What is that called? Or Cortel Design. Is that a C or K? Uh, I think it's a K actually. Is it? Um, and then it's it's barely steerable. So like if a, if a reserve is too steerable, sometimes that can get you into trouble. This one's just just enough to like maneuver yourself away from that thing you don't want to hit and it has just enough forward movement to drop to to make your sink rate really low whereas like a beamer a beamer has a lot more glide which can be really good like if it comes out it's not twisted everything's working great that's ideal if it comes out and it's twisted and it starts heading off the direction you don't want to go you're going to get you're going to go there a little faster but a lot of times when like the beamer threes they come out if they come out twisted a lot of times you just fly in a circle so which is okay because the idea is to hit where you want. Oh, here we go. So what are we watching right now? Full stall. He's trying to find the tail slide. He's pretty much got a tail slide right now. He's not tucking his feet. He's kicking them all over the place. And he's out. Out with a little cravat. So right now he should wait shift left to pull left brake. Oh, he restalled it. And he's still got to tuck those feet. Not tucking them. Weight shift left, pull left, break. No, yeah. And because he's gone around, I was going to say, yep, time to throw. Because once you go around three rotations, time, time to huck it. So, yeah, once you go around three rotations in a spiral, I say it's time to throw. 
Um, and there's nothing wrong with throwing a reserve if you need to throw a reserve. It's better to throw a reserve and land hard and be alive than to try to shake this thing out all the way to the ground. So yeah. don't be afraid of throwing a reserve. It, it's designed to save your life. Yeah, nobody ever gets it. When you throw your, what you should do when you know somebody throws a reserve is next time you see him in the bar, you buy him a beer, you know, because that was, you never give anybody a hard time for throwing. You know, you don't, you don't know what they saw and they're, if they're playing it on the safe side and that's good. Exactly. So, so I was on mute. I don't, I, you probably didn't hear what I said, but Dave, Dave Wolf's, did you hear me say that about, he sent it to me, he was wanting to, to know if that's what you were referring to, but if this guy hadn't, um, if he wouldn't have thrown his reserve with what he had there, he still would have been okay. Right. Landing in the water. He would have been okay. He would have gotten a bunch of water up his eyes and in his nose. You know, he was sitting there going, you know, yeah. But he yeah. And that, that looked like a relatively mellow wing. Um, so, but I mean, there's certain wings, it, you know, like an A wing in a flat down spiral is actually not that bad. Now, like an acro wing in a flat down spiral, you'll pass out. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you hit the water in a flat down spiral on like an acro wing, like you're, you're, you're hitting it like 75 miles an hour. Ouch. It's not the down travel. It's you swinging around outside the glider and acro wings have, way more power and way longer lines so you know like if you're traveling around the outside of the glider and you're only this wide as opposed to this wide out here is going to be twice as fast because you're you're spinning the, the rotation is the same but you're so much further out that the actual speed you, you can clock in at 75 miles an hour on the outside because you're further yeah you to, to make the same rotation you have to travel faster yeah and and, and you like when they say like you can pass out in a spiral, like I remember for years of flying like conventional uh, beginner wings, I was like, man, I don't really see like the G's that they're talking about, like the build that they're talking about. Then you get on an acro wing and you're like, oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> like it's a completely different animal. How do you get out of a spiral if you, if you're locked into it or you feel as though you are? Opposite break. But you got to be mellow with the opposite break. You can't just rip opposite break. But it also it also depends. Like an act. Like let's say you go flat down, and you know usually that's because you're pulling inside break. But if you let off that inside break really slowly, then it doesn't jolt the glider, and a lot of times it'll stay in that spiral. Or if it's a beginner wing, it will exit that spiral if you go hands up, but it'll exit it after doing five more rotations, which is not ideal. So what you want to do is bring your hand up quick, the inside hand, you bring that up quick, kind of jolts the glider. It'll make you exit quicker. Ideally, you want to pull a little bit of opposite break, but not too much because, you know, you can flip over the other side. But let's say you're locked into a spiral and, you, and you're pulling outside break and it's not working. And if you're on an acro wing and you just pull outside break, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but it cannot do anything. Like if you're really locked in and then you pull both breaks. And you just slow the whole program down and then you can exit. Okay. So you try and basically worst case scenario, you try and stall it equally. It's not a stall. It's so loaded. Like when you can pull really hard and you're like, and that's all you're getting, but it'll slow the wing down enough to where it relieves a lot of that pressure and a lot of that G force. And then once there's not as much G's, you can actually exit it. Okay. I have real quick questions since you uh, do inspections on wings. Uh, I know that on a standard regular wing, we have a Kevlar core with a nylon sheathing. Now I've heard on high 
uh, acro wings, some really good acro wings, that the core is different so it doesn't stretch in the high G's. Uh, what is that? Dyneema. And what's the difference? Why don't we have that in all the other uh, gliders? Is it more expensive? More expensive. It's it's So with acro wings, acro wings cost a lot more to build. There's a lot more stitching that goes into it. Thicker materials, thicker lines, more lines, and they're cheaper than like any other wing. And the reason is, is because anybody that's stepping up to those really high-end uncertified acro wings is pretty much got a hookup anyways. So like, like the company Air G, you can buy direct from Air G, no importer, no dealers. And they're some of the cheapest wings you can buy, cheap by price, not by the way that they're manufactured. And that's just because that anybody that's flying like an Emily Air G is already a top level pilot. So, but yeah, it's price and cost. You can see a lot of that in the way they stitch up gliders, like, you know, double stitching costs twice as much hourly because they got to run everything through the machine twice. If it's single stitch, it's a lot cheaper. So. Okay, interesting. I think that we still yeah. got a ton of questions. And we line, did. Diameter, line diameter doesn't necessarily mean the line strength either. Like you can have lines from different companies that are thinner, but they're actually stronger than thicker material lines, depending on what they're made out of. So it's are they funny. mostly are they mostly Kevlar or are they uh, different in different uh, gliders? Most of them are Dyneema, and then and the, and the way you get the strength is by going thicker and thicker. Um, but you can, yeah, there's, there's different ones. Yeah. There's, there's only about four companies, I think that make glider lines. There's not too many of them. Okay. And then companies get their own custom color glider lines, you know, like ozone's ozone's purple is different than everybody else's purple. So. Okay. Um, I know that we got a ton of questions still. Uh, how many how many questions do we got left? Uh, do we have to go for another five hours with all the questions? Five, six, somewhere around there. All right, there. sounds good. <laughs> I'll start us off. Um, Andrew, okay, so uh, Tony Marzano was saying that uh, he says that our EFI on our SkyTap is working awesome. So he's real happy with that. Nice. And yeah, he, he, they're real happy with that. And he's asking about the warranty on the uh, starter. Is that covered under the year warranty? Yeah. Okay, cool. And Jim? Uh, then, let's see here. But to, but to get that covered under warranty, don't mention that you have EFI. I won't say nothing. Okay. So, so for people that don't know EFI, can you explain EFI real quick? Electronic fuel injection. And what's the difference between a regular carburetor that we have and an EFI? Oh, it's a lot more precise. So better fuel economy. I think you get a little bit more power just because everything's, you know, carbureted is kind of the old school way. But it's, it's a lot cheaper to go carbureted, a little easier to work on. But... So it is still a carburetor. No, the EFI is fuel injection. Nope. Or it's actually fuel injection. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's not cheap. So the difference between a carburetor and EFI is the difference between a carburetor and fuel injection. Yeah. 
and yeah, that you don't need fun. to change when you're flying at different heights or going to different uh, altitudes it still works regardless unlike a carburetor where you have to tune it to your your altitude yeah we i actually had a guy that um he's he he might be the best carburetor builder like ever he used to build them for like the jet skis that do backflips he used to build them when all the dirt bikes were two stroke and Ooh. i gave him an engine a couple years ago and he put one of his special it's called a full spectrum carb and he put one of those on there and i i, I didn't really believe that it was going to make that big of a difference but this carburetor actually produces up to 12 psi of pressure in the carburetor so it atomizes the fuel and it atomizes the fuel so much that the spark plug is is um it doesn't look it's white it doesn't look like there's any burn on it so you can't actually tune it by looking at the spark plug he had these little things that he hooked up to it and he put it in a computer and he was sitting there tuning it that way and he was sitting there like we're running the engine up and he's like you hear that and i'm like no i don't i don't know what you he's like all right i'm gonna be this he's like you hear the difference and i'm like no i don't i don't hear what you hear it's like you know i don't have a good musical ear but <laughs> that thing was ripping and he only he only made one he wasn't he wasn't into the mass production. He he all of his orders were custom. So it wasn't gonna work out for customers and stuff. But yeah, he put a a high they call it a high pressure carburetor on there, and that thing was amazing. It would spool up with a helix prop just as fast as a normal Viterazzi spools up with an e-prop. That's how responsive it was. So interesting. All right. Next. So Never Trust a Skinny Chef Shane wants to thank you for helping him with his pulley setup on his wing. But then he was also wondering if it's safe to do a horseshoe with a paramotor during flight. He wants to do it outside of the SIV. What, which wing is it? Ah, he never mentioned that. Hopefully that it. Yeah, if, if you want to ask me that. What wing you got, Shane? Yeah, there's a little bit of a lag, and I see that he also asked another thing, um, asked our guest how his pet pig is doing. So uh, we'll ask you about that while we're trying to get Skinny Chef to uh, let us know what kind of wing he has. Uh, Scipio, our pet our, uh, our pet pig is doing good. He, Scipio? He, yeah, Scipio Africanus. We named, him, we named him Scipio because there was this um, Carthaginian general that was just kicking the shit out of Rome in every single battle for like eight, nine years. He was just a tactical genius and he would bring these big old elephants into battle and just run right through the Romans. And uh, when he finally lost a battle, he lost it to this general named Scipio. And his, his tactic was when the elephants charged at him, they had pigs in cages and they took the pigs out and they made the pigs squeal. And it was such a high pitched squeal that it scared the elephants and they turned around and ran the other direction and ran right through the, uh, through their own army and went in there and finished them off. So the, when I first, when I first got the pig, I picked him up and he screams, he screamed so loud. I couldn't believe, I thought they were going to call the cops on me at my house. Like, cause it was just like a bloody murder scream. And I was like, what am I going to name this guy? So I was like, it's gotta be Scipio. But, yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. He's doing good. He plays with, he plays with my dogs. Like I know exactly what you're talking about because when Robert was growing up, we had our little farm and we raised, we raised a pig. So he was like a pet 
but I remember, yeah, they, they're very loud, very obnoxious. And they oh, yeah. Tear things up. Yes. Yeah. It takes, yeah. it takes like six weeks of picking them up before they stop screaming. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's funny. Good story, though. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Shane has said, I think he said it's a link to. If he's high on the weight range, I wouldn't do it. If he's low on the weight range, it's okay. The links, the link is one of those wings where if you're low on it, if you're low on the weight range, you can you can do a lot more stuff than if if you're high on the weight range, it's more dynamic and things like asymmetrics are a lot more uh aggressive. So it depends on how his loading is. But if you're if you're highly loaded on that wing, I wouldn't do it. How, what uh, altitude would you suggest to be able to do something like that if you're going to be paramotoring and trying uh, some sort of SIV away from an SIV clinic? Um, min minimum, absolute minimum, fifteen hundred feet. Because um, you want, you know, five, you know, five hundred feet to try and sort it out, and then thousand feet to start worrying about your reserve. So really, the higher the better, like five thousand feet and higher, just to be able to do the acro, just in case something screws up. Yeah, I, I tell Shane if you if you want to do it on the link, I'd say first just just come out, you know, just just come out for like a tow or two. Like if you're stopping by, dropping a wing off or dropping a harness off, um, or whatever, you know, come out there and just jump in for like a day class, and we'll do that stuff. It's it's better over water, you know, it's safer over water. And uh, and if he wants to do it on his paramotor, you can fly your paramotor up, and then I'll just be on the boat. And if something goes wrong, then you still got the water. So. Mm. I don't, I don't like pushing anything when you got the tools, you know? Walter's asking, does the square corners of the SkyTap Angel frame pinch big boy arms? Like, if you're a bigger guy, does the square corners of the cage, I guess, is what he's saying, does it pinch? Get in the way. Bigger guys. Square corners. Like, I, I think he means in the comfort bars. That's oh. probably what he's talking about. That's what I we, we have ours angled whereas like the, the flat top comes out and it goes over and then ours is angled so it's smoother uh -huh. um, i've never had any pinches or anything on my uh, sky tap angel um i can do all sorts of weight shifts with my body and nothing pinches so and that's when i was flying and i was a big boy when i was flying that too Any other oh. questions? Yeah, James is wondering what the top what topics are you going to cover in your uh, Bad Apples workshop or seminar? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over a lot about like the things to avoid, you know, like such as negative spins or getting out of spirals. I'm gonna go over a lot on like how and where to throw your reserve, like. Um, like some people throw down, I like to throw up, up and out. Um, I have a little bit different method of throwing my reserve. So, yeah, just. Well, is I there a difference? It. it was it was a lot of good information last year. Yeah, kind of like kind of like the highlights of like the ground schools. What I'll go over, like the main the things that are most likely to you're most likely to encounter. Is there a difference in throwing a reserve if you are free flying or if you have a cage behind you? Free flying, you can get a little bit more. You can drop it back behind you a little bit more and throw it. 
Um, so yeah, you can throw a little further and easier with without a cage. Why? Why isn't? Why doesn't all paramotors come with a quick release harness? That's what I want to know. I mean, if drowning is the number one cause for for paramotor pilots that go down in water, then why don't all of them have quick release harness? Man, you know, I got my <laughs> suspicions as why that is. I think it's personal. Um, you know, between the you know Dell's first person to put a quick release on a frame. Uh -huh. And uh, there's a lot of things that people don't want to do because that's admitting that he was right. I, 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 that's the only, that's the only thing I could think of because, you know, they use them in all the helicopters. Like just about every single military vehicle has one. Ultralights have them. You know, drag, drag racing cars, NASCARs have them. Mudding trucks have them. Right. I don't think it's copying at all. There's a billion designs of pins. Oh, you stole our design. We made a pin look just like that now. I think it's because most with most other sports, nobody's in your face about it, you know. So I, oh. it really should. I think it, I think if they ever started regulating the sport, that would probably be it'd be reserve that you got to have. It'd probably be quick release harness, and it would probably be netting strong enough to protect you from the cage. Like if they're if they're going to regulate it, it's like what else? What else would you regulate besides like the main safety things? But for me, it's like you know we all wear helmets. And nobody, nobody really ever hits their head in paramotoring. Um, right. We all throw reserves, and those are rare to throw. But like, like the, like the netting and the quick release is kind of like, yeah, that's, that's a no-brainer. Now, the quick release on fixed tank point frames, like the Angel or the flat top, it can make it less comfortable. Um, like for me, I, I'll give up comfort all day for safety. But the quick release harness on a swing arm frame. It, it doesn't give up any comfort at all. So, because when you stand up, the swing arms come down on your sides and it relieves any pressure in your groin. Whereas fixed tank points, it's the shoulder straps are pulling against the leg straps. So I can, I can get it for like conventional frames. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable. Some people never fly over water ever. Um, but for swing arm frames, like if you're flying over water, then you should definitely have one. Well, I got a question for you. What if I have the uh, the regular ones and I got a buckle leg, leg and a chest and a chest? Uh, is there somebody that can actually uh, make these uh, things for my particular model, even though I don't have a quick release? Yes, I can put a quick release on any uh, any harness. So I obviously I knew that. I was just you know trying to word <laughs> it. <to her. laughs> yeah, yeah. If you mail it in. Um... It, it you know most of our sewing and rigging state stuff takes a couple days so we usually have it in the mail 48 hours later but i cut off all the old buckles and um put the new quick release on and what does that usually run that's that's 150 for our version one and for the one that's like you grab it and twist it is 175 and i've actually i've had people send me their free flight harnesses that have come out and done sivs i've actually had them send me their, their free flight harnesses to get the Man, that's a good deal. I need to send my here's my harness. I want I want a quick release. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I bring out the sewing machines to fly-ins and I pre-make all the quick releases. So I don't have to go through the whole process. Cause if I just do one, it's like an hour and a half. But if I pre-make everything, I can put it on your harness in 20 minutes. So I bring that out at the at the nice. and do it right there. And I bring the I bring my line making sewing machine. So I make lines for people right there. And yeah. Just gonna have to drive about 
30 hours to get to one of these fly-ins that you go to, I'm sure. Well, besides Florida, that would be a little closer, I guess. <laughs> so what, so you're going to the Bad Apples fly-in? Oh, yeah. And, any other fly-in that you're going to go to with your equipment? 20. I'm sorry? 20. So you're going to do 20 and Bad Apples this year, yes? Yep. And then I was – I'm contemplating Moonshiners. Um. And then, you know, you have that, that one that's coming up that uh, Skinny Chef was talking about. I'll probably go out to that one and bring all my stuff out. Quiet for Gage. And then there's, I, there's one I want to try up north. Um, God, who's putting that one on? There's, there's one that takes place at the end of summertime, right after, no, middle summertime, like right after Bad Apples. Um, I want to go up there to that one this year. Dave, Dave Purden flying. That's the one. That's an awesome plan. I've heard, man, I've heard about that one. And that's, that's, you know, that's East coast. So you will love it. All right. Any other questions in the super chat? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's see. Um, so, okay. David Wolf. Well, first of all, I guess I met, I missed Dave Ruff's question. How do you get a student to do a nose down? They scare me to death, but I want to face that fear. Um, first we 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 do the the spirals and we do them like the way that we judge how like a five we do like five years in a car like one is a just a mellow spiral five is flat down. So what we do is we bring you up to three and then we make sure you can back off to two. And then we make sure you can exit straight from three and then we go to four, make sure you can exit straight from four, make sure you can downshift from four to two. And then usually on flat downs, we just touch, we just go flat down for just a second or like half a rotation. So we hang out at four and then we just bump the nose flat down and then we, then we exit. We don't like to hang out at flat down. It is an amazing experience to do a flat down spiral and the g-forces are insane you just normally don't feel the g-forces when you're flying paramotors in a flat down spiral and it will wig you out for a moment yeah yeah yeah, you gotta gotta learn that you gotta learn how to exit and you, you know the other thing is like you know you can do like um like a gear four where you're spiraling around and you're pulling some g's like a good amount and then if you actually add outside break and a little bit more inside break and keep it at like the angle of four um you lose g's because you're actually slowing the whole glider down and uh, but you're maintaining the steep spiral as well so we make sure that you know like the different methods on how to slow it down and how to back off and how to exit so there was another question in here and it was asking about had anybody ever blacked out in the siv no, but if you go once you go around past like three rotations, and and then I uh, I start calling out reserve. Um, sometimes people freeze up or they don't listen, um, and they'll go around like another four rotations, and then they'll throw. And in my mind, I'm I'm like, okay, he might you know he's getting there you know. So there's been times where I'm like, guy's not reacting to what I'm saying. He's he's spiraling uh and then the reserve comes out but there's 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 been i think two times where i was like you know i'm screaming reserve you know and and it comes out and they're not quite aware of 
you know they're like yeah you know I, and i'm like man that was too that was too many rotations dude like what what took so long and they're like well i was trying to get out of it and but yeah that, that's happened but nobody's blacked out because we don't use gliders that are that powerful like we like we like we like to use real safe gliders so you can do some crazy and stupid stuff and it's going to save you rather than pushing it um usually when you get to those gliders that can pass you out you're very far along that process like we we've had some people take out some hot gliders but they were um you know not first siv they're usually excellent or they're always excellent pilots and they always know how to handle themselves in that stuff but we like we we discuss everything before you do it so if you do something that we didn't discuss that's when i start flaring out you know but if anybody came to me and they're like yeah dude i'm gonna take this hot wing and then do four four flat and i'm like no no no, no, no. like you get one like if you're going to touch the nose down, you get one. And after that, I'm in your ear telling you to get out of it. And then after, if you go around two more times and I'm assuming that things are getting too hot, too quick for you. And I'll start saying reserve throw. So. That's interesting. Deweese Milstead said, where would you recommend mounting a reserve for a trike buggy? On your side. If you can, if you can get it like in front of you, but don't put a reserve here. They say after four G's, you can't lift your hands up. I was told this by an F-18 pilot. So once you pour full G's and you bring your hands down, you can't get them back up. And if the reserve is behind your head and you're in that situation, you might not be able to get it. Plus you can't see it. Like if it's on the side, you can look over. If it's behind you, then um, yeah. it's. I think Jim told us that uh, his paramotor allowed for a reserve to be up behind them and that's the first time i've ever heard of a reserve being up by your head uh in your experience uh how many models actually will have a place above your head to have a reserve well there's a couple of them like simplify does that um there's not too many of them though it's not it's not a good spot for them you know (laughs) You can't see it, and the the G thing is the big problem. Now it does do good for weight distribution because the higher the weight is, the lighter it feels on your back. But I, I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, Jim said that there also was a big uh, drag, like a wind drag, so it kind of slowed it down a little bit. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's blocking your prop. You know, your prop needs to eat, so you're cutting off the air from it at the top. So. Interesting. Uh, Jim, was there any other questions in the super chat? I think we've got pretty much everything. I mean, there's a lot in here, so there's we definitely could have missed something. Yeah, I'm sure we did, man. They were burning it up. Plus, I've got two or three chats going on the side here, too. So um, there is a question from David Wolf. It was, since we learned full stalls on traditional gliders, what happens if we need to stall on our reflex wings? What do we do? So I would stuff it, hold it, and throw. I would stall it and then throw from stall. Like, especially if it's a hot wing. Like, if it's like a spider or something, you, you can get out of it. You'll, you might be in a riser twist. You'll probably take a frontal. Um, but if I, if I went in on something like a, like a real hot wing and I went negative, rather than finding out what's going to happen when it reopens, I would stuff them. I would stuff the brakes, put them both in one hand, and throw my reserve. Cool. And then racing with paramotors says, what brand model quick release buckle is used for the version two? I don't know the model brand. 
It's the same one they use in the NASCAR. It's rated for five, 5,720 pounds. Okay. So. I see. Never trust skinny chef Shane said, Andy told me to throw a reserve, but I didn't. And was able to work it out. But when I landed, he said, great job. But next time, if I say throw, you better throw. He said, true story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shane wants to know if you're going to meet up with him Saturday so he can drop his wing off for his yearly. Andy. <laughs> Maybe. Where are, we, where are we meeting up? At the farm. farm. My farm? I guess. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so. it's funny so if i wanted to send in my wing uh what address do i send it and where do i go to look at uh, all the different things that you do you got a website i assume yeah we got we got three of them uh good sky tap paramotors for the engines skylab siv for the sivs and then paraglider inspection um but yeah, you sent it. You sent it uh, to 726 Lithia Pinecrest Road. Just include a piece of paper with your name, your information, so I know how to get a hold of you in case I find something. Because you know, when we're going through the tests, the first thing we do is the porosity test and the ripstop test. And if either one of those fail, then we just stop the test, and then we only charge you 50 bucks. Because um, there's no sense in going through the rest of the wing because the canopy's shot. And then the next thing we do after that is the line break test. And then if, if that fails, then we'll call you up. You know, like if you only have like 20% porosity left on your wing and then your lines are bad, then you probably want to think about retiring your glider rather than replacing the line set to only fly it for like another 40 hours. So, um, yeah, so you want to include that piece of paper. So if I find something goofy, I can get a hold of you. And we can either order a new line set or we can... If you're like, no, nope, continue with the whole test, you know. So, so in your opinion and uh, your prof- professional opinion, obviously, how long does a wing last and what will cause it to uh, to be destroyed quicker? And what do you do to preserve it as long as possible? I mean, you can have a wing that will last 15 years. Um, like I, I have a I have a wing that's, I think, 16 years old and it passed with like 300 on the porosity meter. I couldn't believe it, but it's a heavyweight. It's a heavyweight material wing, which lasts a lot longer than a lightweight material wing. So it depends. The worst thing for your wing is sand uh, or second is salt water. Water is not good for the wing, but if you dry it out properly, like in the shade and quickly, then that's the, it'll be fine. Um, if you get your wing wet and then you store it in a hot environment, that'll destroy it very quickly. If you are flying, it's kind of like a car. If you drive it really hard, you're going to wear out things quicker. You wear out the canopy quicker. You wear out the lines a lot quicker, but there's a big difference between lightweight wings and and heavy material wings. Like I, I prefer the heavy material wings because they, they hold up twice as long. Uh, but all the real high-end competition wings and stuff, they're all lightweight. So it's going to wear out a little quicker. Plus you're probably going to, it's going to be a smaller wing, you know? So if it's, if you're flying like a 18, that's going to wear out a lot quicker than if you're flying a 25, just because there's so much load distributed over a smaller area. So there's a million factors that go into it. 
Um, yeah. So what can you do to make sure that your wing that you have right now will last you for many years in the future? Don't store it in your car, store it inside your house. And then if you launch in the morning and it gets, it gets some moisture on it, or if, if you pack it up and it's wet, then when you get home, just kind of open the bag and you don't have to spread the wing out, but just kind of like let the wing air out, let it get that moisture out of there. So a good thing to good thing to have in that particular room when you're trying to do it, maybe having like a dehumidifier. No, your air conditioning will do it. You just don't want the water sitting there and like pressing, you know, you don't you don't want like standing water. But typically, if you just open it up a little bit, the air conditioning will suck it right out. What's the problem with storing the wing in the car? I'm just wondering. Pause. Oh, OK. It's cold right now. So because my wings out my car and I'm like, damn. Yeah, yeah, the materials are, they are temperature sensitive, for sure. Okay. And, you know, packing up your wing um, matters. Like, if you, if you take the time to pack it up nice, it'll, it will last longer. Because, so, like, a lot of, where you lose the porosity is sometimes it's the, the protective coating coming off. But also, like, the fabric actually starts to, like, kind of separate a little bit. You can't see it, but that's where the air comes in. And it's just... Uh, the other thing, like like lightweight materials, the ripstop squares are four times bigger. Like a, a heavyweight material glider will have like a square like this, and then a lightweight will be four times bigger. It'll be, and it just doesn't hold the material together, like woven as tight, and it'll start to separate a little bit more, a little bit quicker. So like a single skin uh, wing wouldn't last as long as a, a heavier uh, traditional wing. Right. Gen generally yeah, like yeah generally like the easier they are to kite uh the less long they last like the ones that are really easy to kite a lot of times those are like super lightweight material and those will wear out a lot quicker than a heavyweight material and then like then you have the wings that are like the older ones and, um some of the ones that are like 15 years old and they're built out of such thick material that they're still good because they just built them a lot tougher with like <clears throat> they weren't going as much for the weight like the lightweight stuff becomes more popular as time goes on just because it's, you know, lightweight material wings actually outperform. You can take the same wing and if it's lightweight material, it'll outperform the same wing that's normal material. So that's why they, they, they like a lot of gliders, they make the underside uh, a lightweight material because it's not as exposed to the sun, but there's like some phenomenon where um, the lightweight materials for some reason are are faster and uh there's that that's weird and then this is weird too bigger gliders this isn't true for paramotoring but in paragliding when you're inside the weight range bigger gliders are faster so like if you and i if you and i had the same wing sean we're both right in the middle of the weight range but you had a bigger one than me and but we're still right in the middle your wing's going to be faster than me so like the, the big guys have an advantage in competitions on bigger wings, like the, the Enzo, like the wing you basically need to place in any paragliding competition. The, the large Enzo is three kilometers an hour faster than all the other sizes. Same wing, same load. Right. You, you heard it here, guys. Uh, Grandpa has a bigger one than Andrew Fuller. Yeah. All right. Well, um, There's another, there's one other question I get. Well, two others. But David Wolf, this is referring to the stall. Um, he's saying, what about a drift air? So are you saying there's no saving it? 
yeah, stall it and throw it. Stall it and throw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely on a drift air. And then Fly Swamper was, uh, you had mentioned that, you know, a calendar, a, a glider can last, you know, many years or whatever, but he's wondering if, if there's a magic number of hours. Typically, like, it, it, so it's, it's different for free flight and, and motoring. Um, till the canopy goes, it, it's hard to quantify it. Like, yeah, I, I, I can pull wings out that are like, I have that 16 year old wing that still passes on excellent with porosity. Um, and then like, I failed a couple wings with porosity that were three, four years old. Just depends on how the it's the beach that really kills them, but it depends on how long you let it sit out in the sun and stuff. But t 10 years is what I'd say. So like with reserves, the rule on reserves is after 10 years, you get a new reserve just from the material starting to go. Even though it hasn't been opened or deployed or, or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No matter what. Yeah. Yeah. 10. And also you don't really want a 10 year old reserve because the technology in the last under 10 years is so much better. Right. Uh, like, you know, 10, 12 years ago, the rounds used to oscillate coming down. Now the rounds, they barely oscillate. Whereas that used, that's why they came out with squares because the, the squares stopped the oscillation process. But then the rounds got better, so just the from a yeah, yeah. From like a technology standpoint, you want the newer stuff. But from a material standpoint, the rule of thumb with everybody is after ten years, you get a new reserve. So that's, that's also that's also like you know, if your tires, most places are not going to patch up a tire that's older than ten years. It has to be under the ten years. So ten years, you know, we're talking about plastic and rubber. It doesn't last that long, and you and it's supposed to save your life. So. You know, why mess with something that's supposed to save your life? Now, I, I've been told um, I've been told that they can actually make glider material that will last forever. They just don't. Well, sorry to break that to you guys. Well, you know, like you, but, but, but like you said, too, now imagine having a glider that lasted forever that that had, you know, 2010 technology. Right. You wouldn't you want know, Yeah, you still wouldn't want that, even though it would work fine. Right. Oh, I understand. Um, any other questions? Did we miss everything or do we miss anything else in the super chat or we get everybody? I looks like we got it. Uh, what was I see? Racing with paramotors. We got that brand model. Uh, the meet up at the farm. Yeah, I think. What about drifting? Yeah, we covered it. Excellent. Um, any other questions for Andrew from the panel? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Go um, for it, Linda. Okay. So, Andy, have you ever have you done much um, trike flying? Not much. Have you done it before, though? Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, but probably my last three times on a trike was flying somebody else's stuff. Where okay. they're like, "Hey, man, try out the new trike," and I jump on it. So you can so you you can do tandems on the trikes if you want. Oh yeah, yeah. No, trikes oh. a lot, a lot easier, especially with tandems. Especially with tandems. Okay, so you prefer trike tandem as to paraglider tandems. No, I prefer foot launch because it's more fun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, but, really? I, yeah, I would not be good at that running. Yeah, for, yeah, you'd, you'd you'd be fine. Yeah, you'd be fine. <laughs> 
that's why the trike you just you know when i went on my went on my first you know trike um tandem in may and yeah you just you know you sit in that seat and then just hold on you know when you go up there just grab onto those those bars right there and i was good to go but i don't know about as far as like the the free flight sitting in that little seat the only, the only <laughs> where everybody messes up and the, the the key is you have to expect it on foot launch tandems probably oh i'd say minimum six out of ten people will try and sit down on takeoff and they'll try and sit down on landing Landing's not a big deal but takeoff it can stop the uh they can stop the launch and you have to restart well, sometimes if you're far enough into the launch, if they sit down, they can't quite get down to the ground because they're flying enough and then you can pull it off. But it doesn't matter what you tell them, they'll, they'll do it. Like if somebody's a sitter, they're a sitter. Uh, the only thing I actually tell people in my, 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 my tandem speech is less than a minute. And most of it is just keep running and don't sit down. That's virtually the only thing I tell somebody. It's like, I'm going to pull the wing up and then we're going to turn into the wind, which is that direction. And then don't sit down. And even if that's the only thing I say, it's still 50-50 they're going to sit down. That's that's the only problem. And it doesn't do anything. Uh, oh. If you get a strong cage, you don't break anything. You just, like, they sit down and you're like, ah, hold on. Yeah. Get up, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you can get them to stand back up and you can just keep running again. But right Racing with Paramotors asked, what model or brand, I don't know if he's already asked you that, what, what brand is the quick release buckle for the version two of your oh, yeah. quick release? It's the, it's the NASCAR one. Uh, I'm not sure which, which one it's called. There you go. The NASCAR one, Racing with yeah. Paramotors. Perfect. <laughs> did we ask, ask Deweese's question about uh, the, the reserve mount? What... What do you recommend mount? Where do you recommend mounting a route? Yeah, we did that one. Okay, good. Side. Yeah. I think we got it then. Yeah, I think we're called up. Finally. Oh, we lost our host. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. He run off the, he, see, he's going to get his glider out of the car. I need to do the same thing. <laughs> I know, right? He's, like, oh, <laughs> he's going to send it. <laughs> He's we been. Man, it's been an awesome, awesome show, Andy. I yeah. mean, I learned a lot. I mean, it, I'm did. glad we do this so you can learn something every day, you know? Yeah. No, this is yeah, great. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Learned, Thanks, learned a Andy. lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. Well, I All guess right. now I can share you with Robert. I told Robert, you can't have him on your show till I have him on my show. Yes, Mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have an under we had an understanding <laughs> so yep. can you tell us a little bit about or can you tell us how to get up with you for all your different um uh, businesses and uh we will send you off since it's after nine uh, o'clock my time central standard time um you can contact me on facebook you can get a hold of me through one of the websites um to be honest with you, I like when people call me. Um, then we're not messaging back and forth. The phone rings, they 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 tell me what they need or what they're looking for. We ask all our questions, we get it out of the way real quick, or we can spend an hour talking. But preferred if uh if you give me a ring. But yeah, Facebook is easy. You can email me through any one of my websites. 
And and for people that are listening to this right now, they're like, okay, I want to call up uh, Andy right now. What is your phone number? 813-391-0237. So now you got his number, 867-5309. You'll remember that forever. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the show, bud. Um, And thank you for being on it every single year. So that means that uh, on our fifth year, you're going to have to come back again and tell us uh, about your next adventure, your next business, and the next thing that you're going to be doing. Yeah, sure thing, bud. Yeah. absolutely well thank you so much we definitely appreciate you and uh, you're more than welcome to leave if you need to we're going to go ahead and um uh say our goodbyes to uh the world and then we're audi 5000 so thank you very much we definitely appreciate you buddy and uh, all yes. your links are down below so if you want to get up with andrew just uh use any of the links down below <laughs> excellent all yeah. right so um our official sponsor is uh, jim from canada a eh? you can find him over at carepp.com tell us a little bit about what you do and what you can do for us and i think there's a a discount code if you mention somebody's name yeah sure i can help you with all your printing and at this time i don't know how you would save more money i mean canadian dollar is in the tank so uh I don't know if I should give anybody the PPG grandpa discount. My, oh my. <laughs> you guys are already getting 30% off, just an exchange rate. But if you use the PPG grandpa exchange discount, you'll get an additional 10% off. And uh, also, we're going to do a spinny wheel of things in uh, probably in about a month or maybe a little bit longer, uh, for a salt and sea fly-in calendar. So anybody who goes to ppgcalendar.com and signs up for the web for the website will get entered into that draw for the calendar. So if you go to ppg.com, ppgcalendar.com and sign up, you'll get entered in for that draw once it actually comes about. That's cool. Hey, do you do t-shirts? Do I do t-shirts? I asked you first. (laughs) (laughs) Do you? Uh, I can. I can do them. I don't do them very often, but I can do them. What was Andy's Andy's phone number again? I think Bill H was like, somebody write it down, and I didn't get to type it in fast enough. So 813. Yep. 391 0237. 0237. Got no, it. No, 0237. Oh. <laughs> 0237. Yeah. All right. There we All go. All right. Scuba Steve, say it again, real quick, since you got a louder microphone. Oh, uh, or whatever else you need to know. SIV, there you go. He's got it all. Call him. <laughs> and it really wasn't 8675309. Uh, <laughs> so so Jim, so if we go to ppgcalendar.com and we sign up for a free account, when it's time to get that salt and sea calendar, you're gonna be doing a spinning wheel of winning things for a while, right? So we're gonna do that what for for a couple of Mondays after the salt and sea? You betcha. 
So it'll be a little while because we're going to get to all the, and it'll also be the same site where you can submit photos for the salt and sea fly-in. And then we'll obviously we'll do a contest and top 12 pictures will be put into that. And, but yes, anybody who signs up now will get in on that draw. So let me ask you something real quick. What if they go to carepp.com and sign up for a free account? Does that a, a double one? Is that another name that uh, can go on that spinning wheel of winning things? They might be extremely confused because they won't figure out how to sign in or yeah. sign up. Gotcha. All right. Just just trying to help you out with getting more people. Hey. Site. <laughs> they'll, be trying, they'll be like, Jim, where the heck do I sign up? So I like that. Um, also, too, so if you go over to paramotorarkansas.com, sign up for a free account. We'll also add all of your names to a second spinny wheel of Winnie Things to get a free calendar. Sounds good. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much for everything that you do for us, uh, Jim. And uh, obviously, you have maple syrup smelling money up there. And if you haven't been to Canada, you better go there and sniff some money. <laughs> and then go over check out carepp.com or check out his crazy shenanigans at carepppg.com. We also got Will Fly from Will Fly PPG with a puppy on his lap. Yeah, my dog, my wiener. <laughs> yeah, little black hey, wiener. This is a family show. We're not going to show wieners on your lap. Come on now. <laughs> so, so you do uh, just the tip. We do, uh, you do uh, amazing videos. Uh, how do we get up with you on your YouTube and uh, what do you have in store for the next couple of videos? Well, just uh, last week was just the tip 6.0. Uh, next week or the week after will be just the tip 7.0. So working on it. And uh, yeah, you can go to youtube.com forward slash will fly or just go to willflyppg.com and Every video I make is made 100% by yours truly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, if you like what you see, subscribe. And hit the bell notification, as Sean says. Absolutely hit that bell notification. So you're saying that you don't have an AI computer person? I don't pay anybody to do any part of my videos. None. That is awesome. And you do amazing jobs on your videos, too. So if you haven't Thank been you. there... Make sure you go to willflyppg.com. Check out his videos. Hit that bell notification because he puts out some good stuff. Made with love. All right. We also got Scuba Steve, and he helps us out in the background, too. So how are you doing, Scuba Steve? And uh, I hear that, you, hear that you got a podcast on Friday nights. What's that all about? Uh, I do. I do a vaping show on Fridays. Um, if you look up Scuba Vapes, you can, you can find me pretty easy. I need to get with Will, you know. I'm gonna have to buy a van and get Will to decorate my van because his looks <laughs> freaking awesome. I saw that van, I was like, man, I need something like that. It looks great. Yeah, but yeah, uh, or you can go paramotordude.com. That'll bring you over to my YouTube channel. I'm live every Friday night, eight to ten o'clock Eastern Standard Time. There you go. All right. Thank you very, very much. And of course, we got Linda Anderson. She's our PR hey. girl. Do you have your pom poms today or are they um, stuck in a box away I, from the cat? Yeah. Now that I have my my kitty, um, yeah, the pom poms, uh, she would go crazy. 
because she would think it's for her and she'd be like all over, you know, the noise and everything. So well, that'd she, be a great really, that'd be a great villa video. Do you do your pom pom? She's like, ah, ah, ah. I, yeah, I thought it'd be entertaining, wouldn't it? Oh my gosh. Now this was this was really fun tonight. I really had a, a good time. Monday nights are always cool, but there was even cooler because Andy Fuller was with us tonight. Thank you so much, Andy. We appreciate you taking the time and hanging with us for a few hours. And thank you, chatters and listeners. And I really appreciate all of you. Much love, much love. And uh, you can find me um, on Thursday nights on periglidingchalk.com with my awesomest son, Robert Michaels. And I'm usually hanging in the chat or in the Zoom, you know, how I am. I crash his show every Thursday, but uh, it's a lot of fun. So y'all enjoy, you have a great week and um, I'll see you on the next one. Sounds good, sounds <laughs> I'm good. I'm like, probably not going to this one. Sounds good. Um, hey, uh, Andrew Fuller, do you have your own uh, YouTube channel? If you do, how do we get to it to see your flying shenanigans? Uh, Skytap Paramotors, I don't really put too much stuff on there. I uh, I edit all my own videos too and I don't like doing it, so I just don't do it. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, Will Fly, you guys do a podcast on Tuesdays. Uh, tell us about that real quick. Yeah, man. If you want, uh, it's called Paramotor Hangouts, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. Shane, Mark, and myself get together. We're going to talk flying stuff and other paramotor related things. Um, just go to ppgshane.com. It'll take you right there. Absolutely. And you can go to your favorite podcasting app because recently they've been uploading their audio to their podcasting app, uh, their podcast. So um, what do we search for? Paramotor Hangout or what do we search for? Paramotor Hangout, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, you name it, should be on there. Excellent. Well, um, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I cannot believe that we've gone through what uh, two and a half hours of show. Yeah, and it's just, it's just like that. that. Just, yeah. just amazing. And couldn't um, pick his brain enough. I think we need to pick it another couple of hours. I think so too. <laughs> Seriously, like, oh, the, I need the to chat, go home. <laughs> the love you, man. I mean, that it's like they were burning up with the, the questions. It was hard to keep up with everything, you know? So yeah, good, great guest. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you want to get up with uh, Andy or any of his businesses, like I said, I put the links down below, make sure you go there and check them out. Uh, and matter of fact, click them all, check them all out and, and check out the uh, SkyTap paramotors and the Spartans, check out the SIV clinics. And of course, when you're ready to get your, your wing inspected, make sure you send it to him. All right. Anybody have any last words before we say goodbye to everybody this wonderful Monday night? Nada. <laughs> I guess We're everybody's like, ready. Um... To, everybody's ready to go to bed. I know I am. I'm an old grandpa. I'm ready to go to Who bed. Who do you say? So. Word. Last word. 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 <laughs> word. Oh yeah. Real quick about word. We also got a podcast on Wednesday nights. Paramotorgirl.com. Don't forget that one. Well, y'all have a wonderful evening. If you guys stay here, we're going to go say goodbye to everybody live stream and we'll chat here for a couple minutes and, uh, you know, tell the secrets that, uh, uh, you know, 42.
We're going to tell the secrets of the universe, 42 and beyond. All right. Y'all have a wonderful evening. Don't forget, fly safe. And time flies just like paramotor pilots. So stay safe and we'll see you next time on PPG Grandpa's Paramotor Podcast, clearproptv.com and paratalk.org. Peace. I love that. Peace. And stopping (laughs) the live stream. So we stopped the live stream, but we still have our audio right now. This is for the audio that goes um, that that people will listen to. So now we're just audio real quick. So every we try every week to do a a uh, passphrase or a passcode or something that people could win instantly if we remember. Uh, What is a good passphrase or passcode or something that we can uh, give something away next week on? What so, was his pig's name? Yeah, yeah. What's the pig's name? Scipio. How do you spell that? Ooh. S-K-I-P-I-O. <laughs> S-K-I-P-I-O. So that will be the uh, the passcode, if we remember next week, <laughs> to uh, to give away something yeah. for free. So make sure you write that down. S-K-I-P-I-O. Scipio. I like that. Okay. So once again, uh, oh, thank you so sorry. much. It's S. Okay. C I P I O. S C I P I O. Okay, that looks more like this is like it's gonna say scorpion or something when you write it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how many people have never heard that name before. Like I I actually uh, yeah, my, my buddy's my buddy has a friend and his name is uh it's his name is Skip. And I'm like, oh, is that short for Scipio? And he's like, no. <laughs> That is neat. I like that, Scipio. So, so you can spell it S K I P I O or S C I P I O next week to win in the super chat. So make sure you write that down, and uh, we will—I don't know—we'll give away something, either a travel mug or a uh, chase cam. Sound good? All right, for everybody that's still listening okay. to us on your favorite podcasting app, we definitely appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next week on PPG Grandpa's Paramount Podcast.